0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Go ahead,
1: yeah, I thought he was all right. Get back in the spot. He's oh! stuck, stuck. Take a walk. Take a walk.
2: G'day and welcome to a very special 100th Podslam from Green and Gold Rugby. Uh, we're sponsored by Strike GPS Tracking, which keeps your assets in check, whether it's one vehicle or a fleet of 10,000. Uh, for this special 100th podcast, whoever thought we'd get here, um, joined tonight by the Star Wart, Scott Allen. Mate, how are you?
3: Matt? I'm great. I've got the party hat on, 100. <laughs> Doesn't it feel good. Oh, actually, I feel really tired. I'm 100.
2: <laughs> well, I was just saying to you just before we started. Actually, I'm feeling refreshed because I, I had a nap. I had to. I had to have a, to have a <laughs> nana nap at 7:30 this after 7:30 this evening. Um, you know, I,
3: uh, did you get your telegram from the Queen before you had your nap? Yeah,
2: <laughs> my 100th. Yeah, no, we, we, we've we've definitely come of age. Um, I don't know, you know. maybe it was over excitement. Maybe that's what it was. But yeah, these bones mm. they feel old. Um, So, later on in the podcast, we've got lined up for you, we've got a very special guest, a favourite, I think, uh, seems to be the case, which is, or who is, Nathan Sharp. Uh, Doesn't need a lot of introduction. It's going to be fascinating to talk to Sharpie. He's going to be, I fancy he'll be a lot more polished these days, Scott, now that he's got a gig in the media. Uh, Gig in the
3: media and a wallaby coach as well.
2: Yeah, gosh, we'll have to talk to him about that um but uh, yeah anyway so he's later on he's towards the end i know we usually have the guests at the beginning and so you guys maybe you just listen to that and you can dump the rest but this time you're going to have to at least scroll through the, the whole thing but um actually that leads us on to the first thing we might just cover off is that look uh, it's been great doing these 100 podcasts so hopefully you guys enjoy it uh the numbers of slowly been creeping up so they haven't at least gone down so that seems to be a good sign but we're always trying to do things like on the site that green and gold rugby always trying to do things differently to see if we can do them better uh or differently and just keep them mixed up so uh, i guess just a question to anyone who listens whether you download or listen on the site however it is uh, let us know we you know we've got thoughts like is it too long uh roughly speaking the podcasts have kind of three sections. We talk about the games, we talk about the key issues, and then we usually talk to somebody else. What if we broke those up uh, into maybe three different episodes each week, or maybe one of those you guys find dead boring and you scroll through each week anyway, and if we dropped it and it cut it down to, I don't know, 40 minutes or something, you would find a lot better. Uh, anyway, we're, we're keen to know, let us know uh, about that, You can do it. What we might try and do is put a little poll uh, in the uh, place where we, you know, in the in the the post where you can find the podcast on the site, and but then also there's the comments underneath. So, you know, here we are. We're talking about how we might change it. If you've got an opinion on that, get in there and tell us. Tell us what you'd like, what you'd want to keep, what you'd maybe want to change. Um, I think you had an idea there, Scott, as well, didn't you, about getting uh, some more people involved in it as well.
3: Yeah, well, listening listening to two or three of us talk, you know, some people say it's good, they want more. Some say they weren't interested in the thing. But what we like to do is get a few more people involved. So, you know, if somebody's going along to watch a Waratahs game, for example, you know, we'd love to have that person come on for 10 minutes and, and tell us what they thought in that game while we're discussing it. And then we can get someone from the Brumbies or the Reds. and Have a little bit of a group discussion, you know, maybe take 10 minutes of your time each week, open it up to a few more people.
2: Yeah. No, that'd be great. I mean, one of the things we've—I was, I was saying earlier on—one of the things we've been thinking about for ages. We'd love to be, have people be able to kind of send in questions or opinions uh, or rants, whatever it is. Uh, so we're looking for like a little widget. If anyone knows of one, let us know. But you know, in my mind's eye, I can imagine that there's like a a button that you press, record on the site. You get to say what you want to say then you send it to us, we can put it in the show and it all runs, so that you don't have to be standing by the phone or Skype or whatever it is to be part of the podcast, Um, but we can just pick it up and go and it's your voice and your opinions. So anyway, if anyone comes across that, but that might be something else we try or like Scott was saying, maybe we can get some people on live. But anyway, just to say podcast 100, um, we've made it to the ton, but that doesn't mean that we're standing still. We're trying to make it better uh, in any way we can. Uh, So look, but that's from one hundred on uh, tonight. It's going to be a bit of a bumper show. There's quite a bit to talk about, uh, and where we thought we would start is, as per usual, we'd start with looking back at the weekend's rugby. Super rugby turned out yet another fascinating round. Uh, I actually managed to watch all uh, Australian games this weekend. despite allegations. Um, there was there was controversy, wasn't there, Scott? Uh, Overnight with the Green and Gold Rugby Team of the Week selections.
3: I woke up this morning to see that controversy. I was a bit busy over the weekend, so didn't get a chance to participate in mm. selecting the team and then woke up this morning to see there was a bit of a blue going on as to... Who made the team? Oh, Blue. Blue
2: is did? <laughs> Blue's a good word, I think, because I think there was uh, yes. there's a few few Waratahs supporters. And, I, you know, I'm a Waratah supporter, born Waratah supporter as well. But um, And with that fantastic win that they had uh, over the weekend, I think some of our uh, writers, esteemed writers, were maybe expecting to see a few more Waratahs in there. Uh, they did get seven in, in the team of the week. But um, anyway, so... so Benny,
3: Benny. <laughs> I saw that comment a few times. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Which was what? Sorry, mate.
3: I saw that comment from a number of people on the site. Too many Tars in
2: there. Yeah, any Tars is too many Tars for, for some people. Um, yeah. Anyway, look, let's come on to how they played in, in, in a minute. So let's, uh, to the top. I didn't see this game. Uh, it was the Blues Stormers. The Blues just pipping the Stormers by a point. Did you catch any of that one?
3: I did. I watched that. It was a cracker. Was it? I must say, Super Rugby this year is, I think it's gone up another level. There mm. are so many close games. This is another game that went over time, could have been won by either team. The Blues just hanging on. It, and, was, it was a really entertaining game. And despite that, the Blues didn't score a single try. They well, still won.
2: Jeez. And how did the Stormers
3: come? I've, I've,
2: I've seen very little of the Stormers this season for one reason or another. What, what, what sort of stuff? How are they playing?
3: They're playing more expansive than they used to. Mm. Um, still very good defensively, still very good at the breakdown, um, but they seem to be trying to play a little more expansively. Right. But uh, the Blues, look, I've said in the last couple of weeks they're the real deal, and I was pretty keen to see how they went against another team. Um, John Kerwin has been talking about how young their group is. and I don't know whether it's young in age or whether just it's the young, young, how young they are in experience, but I think they're the real deal. Mm. I really think they will be a contender.
2: Well, they are second in the Kiwi Conference, and that's with only having played nine games. So the Chiefs, Crusaders and Hurricanes, um, the Chiefs just being the one team ahead of them, have all played ten. So And the Blues have got 36 points, the Chiefs have got 40 uh, and the Crusaders, who have played, again, played a game more than they have, are on 34. So, you know, to your comment, the Blues are certainly putting them in the right spot.
3: Yeah, they are. But I suppose because they've played one less, that, does that mean they've picked up an extra bonus point? Uh, uh, sorry, an extra buy point?
2: A buy. Uh, have
3: they got an extra four points in there?
2: Not sure. Yeah, that's that. Good.
3: That makes it really hard to look at the table, doesn't it? Because you look at it and you say, yeah, but who's already got the four points yes. in the bag? Sure. Um, and who's got no buys left?
2: But if it was a buy, would, doesn't that then... Okay. Wouldn't they be unlikely to be a... a, a doesn't that give you a, a n- number in the played? You see what I mean?
3: No, they only count played as in games you've actually oh, okay. run out.
2: Yeah, already. So anyway, well one way or another they 're second in that table, um, and then you know the con you know, the converse of that the team they're playing the stormers are um, they 're second last they 're just uh, you know they 're above the kings so they 've got the same number of points as the sharks um, but uh, and but and, and have got, looks like they 've got a game in hand by the table um, on the sharks um, but um, with twenty nine points but it 's really it 's really interesting they 're uh, points for and against, the points difference is only two. So they're only two in the positive there.
3: Yeah, that's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. For a team that's been right up the pointy end for the last few years, Mm. um, they're not performing it as well.
2: Mm. Uh, The the Cinderella story in that that conference really does seem to be the cheaters. Uh, So they're coming second there. Um, Anyway, so, yeah, interesting game. So the next one, and you talked about close games again, uh, the Rebels hosting the Chiefs, this was another one where the Rebels, it was theirs and threw it away, didn't they?
3: Yeah, I couldn't believe they came back like they did. Mm. Um, they really showed a lot of heart. And again, what a great game to watch. Mm. Highly entertaining. Six tries to five and maybe should have been seven tries to five with the Chiefs denied one, but fantastic game. And the Rebels fought so hard to get back in that game. Yes, they did. You know,
2: it was an amazing game, and you, you kind of, as I watched it and actually rewatched some of it, um, I was, uh, I was, you know, a bit of a skewed view when I was watching it live for some reason on Friday night. But you know, <laughs> when uh, when when you rewatch some of it, there's some interesting stats in there. I mean, the, the Chiefs uh, kicked um, a lot more ball uh, than the Rebels, so 18 kicks to 10 for the Rebels. Um, you know, almost getting on towards double the number of kick meters. Rebels uh, ran a lot more than the Chiefs did. But the one that I guess it's maybe not surprising in some ways, but as in sheer numbers. So the Chiefs missed 46 tackles. So they made 159, but they missed 46. That's a hell of a, that's a, that's a, a solid chunk, isn't it?
3: Yeah, well, I saw Dave Rennie was very unhappy with that. They've had that problem, you know, if you think about their performance against the Reds and then their performance against the Waratahs, they missed a lot of tackles in those too. Mm-hmm. So the Super Rugby champions mm-hmm. are not travelling that well at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and look, some of the, the Rebels, though, they placed a lot of pressure on. Yeah. Uh, what were they down? They were down something like uh, 34-21 with only 13 minutes to go. So, you know, they really came back hard. Mm. And there were some good performances. I just think Scott Higginbotham, the captaincy, has done wonders for him. It has, hasn't it? He's playing like a completely different player. Mm. And he's still got the physical nature about him, but have you noticed he's lost some of the aggro? Even when he's talking to the referees, he's calm, cool, collected, wants to get his point across, but he's no longer, you know... An agitated man.
2: Mm. Well, it's it's amazing what we talked about this last week. It's amazing what sometimes that change in attitude when you know you, the responsibility gets put on your shoulders and that seems to be having uh, quite an effect on him.
3: Yeah. And obviously the Rebels would have gone into that game not wanting to kick the ball to the Chiefs back three. So that was a good tactic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they ended up with 63% of possession.
2: It's quite amazing, isn't it? And um, yeah. and you know, with the with the rebels there, um, one of the key players for them there is this Hugh Pyle, snaffling two tries, um, one of which was quite amazing. You see that one where he was he was stretching the, you know dot the ball over the line, realised he couldn't make it with one hand, so he switched it over to his other, while he was you know, know. while he was kind of carrying two or three chiefs. Um, quite an amazing piece of skill, but he seems to be doing this you know uh, pretty regularly, doesn't he? What What's your take on him? Because I know, um, you know, on our side, a lot of battle-weary forwards don't like it when we see second rows scoring tries out wide. Uh, they get names like Seagull, which uh, Nathan Sharp suffered with for quite a while. Is, is, that, is that a fair allegation at Pyle, or is it just, you know, he's, he's just a quality athlete?
3: I, I watched him play and, and had the same view, mm-hmm. thinking, you know, you shouldn't be out there. You need to be in tight. But he keeps popping up and scoring the tries. I still think you need your locks in tight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the team suffers as a result. Yes, it's made up for he scores some very athletic tries. I mean, he scored two tries where he, he used the go-go gadget arm to get over the line. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, I think the team, the Rebels, had four tries where the player didn't get to the try line and reached out. Scott Higginbotham, certainly his. his both of Pyle's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Phipps was the same, wasn 't he? Yeah.
0: yeah yeah
3: um look I, I think um, if he 's going to play higher, as in wallaby level, he will need to play a bit tighter mm. yeah, but it 's working for the rebels've they 've got, got a structure that allows him to play that way, and you know every team you can 't just say that 's the way you must play, mm. you have to look at the game plan of a team, and sometimes the game plan is changed to fit the player.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean we've had that conversation with with Higginbotham before, and I think that's what nice. That's, that's what's nice about what we're seeing now is that we, we know at least that he's got the two ways of playing. That, it, well it's looking like he's got those two ways of playing that he, he can maybe switch between now. Um, whereas in the past, you wondered how much of it was him fitting in with something that Link wanted, or how much of it was actually that was the type of player he was. So they kind of um, accommodated it. But one of the key talking points from that game was the TMO, actually, wasn't it? So um, there was a whole lot of stink on Twitter afterwards. Uh, some people reckoning there was at least a three-try sort of uh, turnaround to the Chiefs there with um, a few things disallowed um, and other tries getting through. How did you see that?
3: Oh, well, I think the first one, so, is the Scott Higginbotham one. I can't remember who passed the ball. Um I mean, it looked to me it like it went a long way forward. Mm. Um, even though we have the thing, you know, does it go backwards out of the hands and then travel forward? Well, it looked to me like it went forward out of the hands. The interesting thing with the TMO on that particular one, there was no footage that got even remotely side on. So mm. you're looking at it from behind. And the TMO's view, which I guess is quite correct, there is no conclusive evidence to tell me it went forward. Yeah. So if the assistant referee who's running down the sideline, who's in a better shot than that camera angle or has a better view than that camera angle, and the referee who was pretty close, they didn't think it went forward, it's pretty hard for the TMO to overrule on that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the same as the sort of thing we see when you know a player has got the ball over the line. You just know it because they come up and you can see the balls underneath their body over the line. But when they go to a TMO, there's no conclusive evidence. What I found really interesting with the use of the TMO, and I, was, I watched it all weekend waiting for somebody, I have not heard one referee in weeks, if not the whole year, say, is there any reason why I can't award the try? Mm. They are all now saying try or no try, which puts the emphasis on I now have to see conclusive evidence it's scored, whereas if you ask the other question, saying any reason I can't, you have to find conclusive evidence to say no. Mm. So I think we're taking the more conservative route there. Um, And there are tries, you know, not being allowed. And the last one, I think, was uh, Anscombe, where he went to score his fourth try. got over the line, but they went back for a review. I like the review system, Mm
0: -hmm.
3: where the, the, the question was, when the Chiefs player knocked it out of, I think, Phipps' hand, did the ball go straight down? Did it go backwards or did it go forwards? We only had an end on shot. I, I don't know how you can conclusively say that went forward. Mm-hmm. And and the Chiefs were blowing up big time about that one. I think they've actually um, lodged a request or a complaint or whatever you lodge mm-hmm. with the uh, with Sanzar on that one.
2: Yeah. Well- so... Yeah, well, there was, there was plenty of people who, uh, who felt about that. I mean, it was interesting, that, that, that ball travelling. I, I did feel that the refs are pretty consistent about that, though, over the games. It's obviously something they've talked about because uh, it happened also in the TARS match. Um, there was one where Foley kind of threw a bit of a Hail Mary over his head, um, and I guess the ball went backwards out of his hands, but, I mean, clearly travelled forward, you know, a good metre or so. Um,
3: yeah, but, and, which and, means it's not full.
2: yeah. Um, but as they, long as
3: it goes backwards. I mean, that one with, with Foley, I think he could see, because of the camera angle, you could actually see his wrists caught backwards. Yeah. You had a better chance. It's just the camera angle on the, the one that Higginbotham scored off. You know, you couldn't tell. Yeah.
2: Rightio, then. So, anyways, well, well, that was the game. But, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm Unfortunate for the rebels there, you, you know. For a while, again, you thought that maybe they had a, they had a chance of uh, pulling that that one off, but uh, wasn't to be. Uh, but they played some, uh, some 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 damn good rugby. You just we talk about this. We've talked about this a few times. You know, are they a complete you know mess, or is there some gems in there that just the right you know coach and culture and maybe just a few p- player changes could really make a difference, I as uh, as the season's gone on i can't help but think that it's 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 the latter you know but you, you somebody can go in there and really turn that around and we're going to talk about player movement in a little while and it makes me feel that also makes me feel that we you you, you could see some changes there um and we know that Damian Hill's job's up for grabs at the end of the year so who knows what might happen um all right i
3: agree i okay. think definitely you, you got your hand up <laughs> Fancy That'll be Melbourne. the day
2: <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty um, So uh, Saturday We had the Highlanders uh, And they get another one of these games They pipped the Sharks 25-22 um, yeah. Did you see that one?
3: Yeah I did um, And first win of the year Brad Thorne's 100th super game mm-hmm. um, I mean a team that They built with a lot of recruitment In the off season That you thought Know, must go close to being in the top two of the New Zealand Conference, given the experience they had, who've just faltered badly this year. Yeah. Um, you know, And then the joyous celebrations when they hung on at the end. Um, I was getting – something was going wrong with my Foxtel connection at the time, so I sort of lost about – out of the last 10 minutes, I think I only saw about four. Fortunately, they were the last four minutes. So I was sitting there – hitting the button going, what's happening, what's happening, what's happening? <laughs> then it came back on and, you know, the Sharks are on the line and it was another exciting finish. Great game.
2: Yeah, that was another one of these games, wasn't it, which kind of seesawed back and forth because uh, when I turned it on, I thought the Sharks had jumped ahead, but then the Highlanders kind of came back and put the hammer down. You thought, oh, all right, you know, you know that, that's it. And, uh, but obviously not. It was tight towards the finish.
0: And, yeah. um, all righty.
2: So uh, that was that game. And then the biggie, uh, the force hosting the Reds. Could the Reds break this hoodoo that the force have over them? Uh, and the answer in the end was no. So uh, 11 or draw. Um, what, what was your take on it?
3: Oh, I think it exposed a lot of problems with the Reds. Mm. Um, for me, I mean, there's basically... I think there's three problems with the Reds um, at the moment, they, and they all revolve around attack. Their forwards, and this may be fatigue, but they're just too slow getting to the breakdown. And, I, and I've been critical of the Waratahs for the same thing. You know, in the middle part of the season, they've they've addressed that. Now all of a sudden, the Reds are getting to the point where they're just not getting to the breakdown fast enough, and that's allowing teams. And the Force did a great job. That don't take you know anything away from what they did they were fantastic. They went out with a very specific game plan of how to counter the Reds, but the Reds couldn't counter it because they had no forwards at the breakdown. So that was problem number one. Problem number two is the Reds had, or used to have, a very simple pattern, the most simple pattern you can have, which is same way attack around the corner. And the forwards would just get up off the deck, they go around the corner, they'd play the next one. They were in motion all the time, and they just kept moving the opposition forwards and you'd see Quay Cooper sitting behind the line saying to Genia, not yet, I don't want it yet, I don't want it yet, I don't want it yet. And he would be able to sit there and wait until there was something on and then play? Well, they're not doing that anymore. In fact, you know, what their basic go-to is pick and go. Mm. So they might go, they try something, it doesn't work, and then they go into pick and go mode. Um, I was interested to hear Link in some comments after the game has said, you know, Pick and go is meant to be our change-up option. It's becoming our primary option, so yeah. I agree with that. But then the third part about all of that is because Quaid used to be able to sit back and pick his opportunities, he was much more effective. Now with the forwards just getting stuck and almost getting bogged down all the time, he looks like he's having to step up into the line and play more. Yeah. So he's now getting up in the line and becoming a distributor, which, fair enough, that's got to be done sometimes, but... He's no longer able to sit back and scheme and plan and plot as to when he wants the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think that's making him less effective. So the Reds, this basic attacking structure they had that everybody knew, but yeah. you know it was hard to counter if you just had forwards keep coming round the corner, round the corner, you just have to keep getting off the deck tackling them. Yeah. Now we go slow, it's pick and drive. Um, yes, it sucks a lot out of the defence, but... And and we have scored some tries out of it. And I, I've seen, seen a lot of people, I think Laurie Fisher was one, who has had some sarcastic tweets he's made about, you know, pick more, pick more. Um, I don't think the driving mall that they're running off the line out is an issue. Like, that's a good tactic. Mm. It's very hard to defend against. But I think it's the pick and go which is the problem. Yeah. And so- as I said, it's the forwards not working hard enough.
2: So, yeah, I mean, in, in that shape, um, I guess what it's not doing, like you're saying, with the pick and go, it's kind of giving them the opportunity, you know, the giving the, the the opposition the opportunity to keep that defence set. Whereas when they had that same way shape, you know, I guess laterally, it's going to stretch, isn't it? Because if the opposition forwards can't keep pace, you, you're going to start to see those Holes, and I, I guess that also would have helped uh, Genia's game as well, right? Um, you know, yeah. I mean, around the kind of transition zone, because if, if 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 the opposition forwards um, aren't on their toes, they're going to be leaving, they're going to be leaving big gaps, and you know, pulling people out of position, and you know, that helps both those two guys.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, one of the big threats from the Reds, and should be the Wallabies, is will Genia running from the base of the ruck? Yeah. But when you going to pick and drive everyone is so set and you take so long, he's no longer that option. Yeah. So you've removed the threat of Will Wilginia, you've given the defence time to get set, and you've also given the, time, the wider defence time to get set and watch what Quade's doing and watch what his outside men are doing. Whereas, you know, if they go around the corner, if they catch one guy who doesn't get off the deck, that means the next guy out has to come in, and that opens a hole. And then Quade was, you know, typically he and Will would have that telepathic thing where, oh, there's a guy out of the line. Let's go now. Yeah, yeah. It's no longer an option. Mm. So when Quake Cooper gets the ball now, he throws a 15-metre pass cross field, a flat ball, but there's three defenders lined up on the two guys outside. So yeah. the yeah. structure has fallen down completely, and I know Link has said that uh, he sees that and they're going to make some changes. So mm. let's hope they do because... They had so much possession um, that they couldn't convert to points.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, it was and it was. You got to say it was great. To, you know, as you said earlier on, that it was also the force that played well in that. You know, their defence was was excellent, and the guy who really uh, showed up for that, and I think he's getting some good raps, is um, Kyle Godwin. Um, at, at twelve, he uh, he had a very solid game of defence, didn't he?
3: Yeah. He did. I think the force played really well. I don't want to take anything away from the force mm. by the mistakes or how badly the um, the Reds played in attack. What I think has to happen with the Reds is that they've got to be able to adapt mm. because you're going to get teams will follow that plan. Um, and if you come out there and you're planning on going one way, on field they've got to be able to look at it and say, all right, well, that's not working. Let's try something else let's have a backup plan and the reds used to be fantastic at that now they're becoming a little one-dimensional in fact a lot one-dimensional
2: so why is it so what is this game plan that the is it the same that the game plan that the force have kept bringing out against the reds because i don't what is it you know and how many in their last meetings i want to say it's something like four or five their last meetings the, the the force have either won or or they've drawn um is it the same game plan? And, 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 and it's because it seems amazing that a like, thinker like Ewan uh, McKenzie, who loves his, his tinkering of his game plans, that they can't think their way out of this.
3: It is the same game plan. And so what it is is really quick line speed. Mm. They compress their defence. So their focus, their risk with that is that the Reds can move the ball quickly and get outside them. Mm. Um, but they're working on the basis, if we compress our defence, we get off the line really hard, there isn't enough time, for, particularly because Quade plays so flat, mm. um, there isn't enough time for him to get the ball outside of us. And if we then compete really hard at the breakdown, so they went in with two number sevens. I mean, the Reds only had to look at the team sheet and the way the Force played them last time mm. to know what was coming. I'm sure they would have had a game plan, but for whatever reason, and and maybe it's a bit of disrespect for the Force. Maybe they're looking at it and saying, it's just the Force. Yes, they beat us last time, but, Mm. you know, really, it's just the Force. And so they just, you know, they almost throw what must have been their own game plan out the door.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. So a few other names that kind of yeah you know sorry it's interesting that you know they can't think out of that one i've got to think that uh, link is kicking himself at the moment and uh with all these you know draws that keep getting left around the place by uh, the brumbies and the reds i mean it's it's not good for our kind of uh, hopes of high placings in the overall conference um in the overall in, in the overall ladder leaving these points out there um just some other people that kind of caught my eye um actually i would say... Eberson, who they had at ten uh, for the fourth. Yes, um, I thought he had a shocker.
3: I, I must say, I think he has a shocker every time he plays. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm not impressed by him at all. Uh, he just,
2: he just, but he just has this look of attitude about it, you know, of of of, of a kid where nothing's going right, so he's kind of like, "Oh, stuff it." Um, you know, not that he hasn't tried, but it just doesn't seem to be working for him well, one way out. You know, it's just kicks going out in the field, full, um, just crappy decisions. And then by the end, it was just, you know, just hoofing the ball down the other end of the field. At the beginning of the season, you know, the first couple of times he started, I thought, oh, you know, maybe this is, can suit some sort of more of a South African style where maybe he's going to drop a few, you know, pot a few drop goals and just get them down the right end of the field. But that doesn't even seem to be working for him, does it?
3: No, it doesn't. Um. No, as I said, I haven't been impressed with him at all. Um, I've said before, and I'll say it again now, I think Sam Norton Knight is their best option at 10, mm. even though I, I don't believe he's a, you know, a high-level super rugby player. Mm. But Eberson, no, it's not. I don't think it's working.
2: Mm. Yeah, okay.
3: I'll t- I tell you who did have a good game. Mm. Um, and a guy who has really grabbed his chance is Heath Testman.
2: Oh, that's, that was my next, yeah. Had an absolute belter, didn't he? It, unfortunately, like just about every other hooker on the weekend, he couldn't throw straight. Um, but he, around the park, he was ab- an absolute dynamo, wasn't he?
3: Yeah, for a guy that, you know, has been was basically a fringe player at the Rebels, then lost his contract to the Rebels, was on his way back to Brisbane Club Rugby, when the force suffered their first injury and called him over on a short term contract. And then with Nathan Charles going down, you know, he was basically last man standing. And now he's automatic choice for them. Yeah. And I'll be very surprised if he doesn't get a contract next year.
2: Isn't that great?
3: You know, yeah, Chris Alcock was really good as well.
2: Yeah, he was. Yeah. No,
3: and, and... and how about the Honey Badger?
2: Fantastic to have him back, if for no other reason than he's. Uh... Post-match interviews, um, he, he gave some fantastic ones. The one on Fox was good when he and Sharpie were kind of sparking off each other. But then he gave one which it's on the site, It's in our Monday news roundup actually. Um, but he's just he's one he's one funny guy. Um,
3: is he, I didn't see either of the interviews. What did he say? Oh, uh, well,
2: I'm not. <laughs> it's funny as hell, and I put it up there because it's 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 kind of hilarious. But um, the one that I think is actually to the force camera. He said. Um, was it something like he was he was he was he was as nervy nervous as a gypsy with a with a mortgage <laughs> or something like that <laughs> which um, yeah. Anyway, it's yeah. I don't want to think too much about what that actually means and um, and how PC that is. But anyway, uh, it's not your it's not your usual post match interview fare. Anyway, let's put it that way, which is a nice a nice piece of refreshment. But he was also back to that kind of form he had, which you know held him in good stead with the uh, end of year tour as well, wasn't he? Kind of a couple of really bustling runs, hard to bring down. Yeah. Uh,
0: I'll have
3: to go and watch the um, watch the interview. Uh, no. for the Reds I thought Digby Owane was just fantastic again. He standouts really he? far up. Yeah. Now, before... And I saw somebody comment um on our site that he was the best back, but he was also our best forward. <laughs> because <laughs> he was everywhere.
2: No, he was. I mean for a man who's, you know, now it's all out in the open that he's leaving, he certainly didn't play like a guy whose thoughts were elsewhere, did he? No. Um I thought uh, Liam Gill. I thought had a great game as well. He was all over the place, especially at, at the breakdown. He was he was battling hard.
3: Yeah, yeah. Look, he he's easy to look at and say, oh yes, he's had another good game. I don't think people quite realise how well he's playing. Mm. He is he's fantastic. What he's doing. Um, I mean, I thought Hall was going well, but I see. I didn't realise when he came off that he had a concussion. So. He's still in doubt for this week. And then I see he got an off-field yellow card for stamping on someone again.
2: What, is, what does an off-field yellow card even mean? Does it, you know, does it count towards something? I don't understand what, that, what it oh, is.
3: You have to go for a hearing and see if there's a suspension. Um, I haven't heard that he's being suspended, so right. he must have been found not guilty or found guilty but not deemed worthy of getting um, a suspension.
2: Okay. Alrighty. Okay. So, anyway, that's the uh, Force and the Reds. And, um, yeah, I think uh, for the, you know, for, the, the, I thought the feeling on it at the end of that was that the Force felt that they'd kind of mission accomplished. Uh, you know, they'd, they'd managed to contain the Reds, whereas I think the Reds are absolutely pretty filthy with themselves, I think, there. They walked into the same ambush for about the fourth time running. Um,
3: well, if you think about the Red season, in the context of it, two games against the Force... You know, one loss and one draw, Mm. they'll be kicking themselves over losing those potential points.
2: Yeah, especially when you're just two points behind the Brumbies like they now are. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Alrighty, so that was that key game Saturday night. And then overnight, so I woke up Sunday morning and couldn't, had to kind of recheck it a couple of times because... You know, I thought we were maybe on a little bit of shaky ground with the Tars over there in uh, Port Elizabeth. Kings had had some pretty some pretty good scalps, including, you know, and a you know, drawing with the Brumbies away. But the Waratahs running in eleven tries, 72-10 against the Kings. It was just an impressive game. I think Hugh Cavill wrote a great piece um about it where he described the game changer. Israel Folau's line break after about twenty seconds. I thought the Kings looked okay in those opening seconds and with the score locked at nil-nil, you thought they had a chance. But Folau's break and subsequent (laughs) offload ended that and the remaining 4,780 seconds were unhappy ones for the Port
0: Elizabethans.
2: (laughs) Anyway, so there's some uh, some good triumphalism coming from our Waratah supporters. Yeah, I thought it was just, you know... I'm sure people will say, and they did, you know, obviously by within about 20 minutes, uh, the Kings looked all over the place. But just those first couple of tries that uh, Falau was involved with, I think the Kings just sort of thought, how the hell do we stop this? Um, and, and, you know, this isn't going to be our day. And then it all kind of collapsed from there. It was it was uh, pretty ruthless stuff from the Tars, wasn't
3: it? What I found most interesting is that Going into that game, the Kings had, and you may find this unbelievable, but it's a fact, the highest tackle completion percentage in the competition. Jeez. So they've been priding themselves on their defence. But the, the other thing that I found extraordinary, and I just do not understand, they went in with a game plan not to contest at the breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> so they've obviously gone in saying, let them have the breakdown. We will then fan out and we will use our fantastic defence to stop them. Yeah. Okay, that might have been a game plan. You know, I can understand how you, you know, someone might come up with that. It did make sense to me. But after 10 minutes, surely the message goes out and says you've got to slow them down at the breakdown because, yes, the Tars played well, but really, it was like a training run. Mm. And it was just, it was so fast. The Kings couldn't keep up. They were never going to be able to defend a team that was full of confidence and full of running. With someone like Israel Folau on fire mm. by not competing at the breakdown, mm. and I just I looked at it and thought, what is this policy of standing off at the breakdown? Yeah,
2: it was amazing, wasn't it? And, and the tars it made
3: no sense whatsoever.
2: And it's not like because it's not like that. I mean, the tars have signaled that that's what they'd like. You know, I think throughout the season, I mean, you've been talking about it as far as how much they like not to commit in their attacking breakdowns um sure. and 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 if anything they'll they 'll do anything they can to keep it away from being a contest uh so pop balls, you know the works and uh, it looks to me they 've done quite a bit of work on that kind of skill as well, you know as far as you know as far as recycling the ball without it having to go through a breakdown and and figuring out very quickly and realigning something that they were absolutely terrible at for, for the last i don't know how many years um and they finally seem to be getting that together, and I think to your point. By not slowing them down and, and, and making a contest at the breakdown, that just played into exactly what the tars, as you say, obviously have been training in all the all season and it just came all to, it just completely came together didn't it
3: yeah if you if you were Michael Checker and you were out against the second fifteen in your training run you're trying to develop some confidence in these guys offload the ball, play fast, you know mm. spin it wide you'd be saying to the guys in the second fifteen. Don't contest too hard at the breakdown. I want them to get some confidence up mm. so they can play this sort of way. And that's exactly what the Kings did. It was like they'd been conditioned to, oh, well, this is how you want to play. We'll let you do that. The, the TAR's big weakness when you're trying to play that sort of game is teams attacking the breakdown.
0: Mm.
3: And yet they, they clearly had a tactic. Let's not do it.
2: Mm.
3: And they didn't change the tactic during the game.
2: Yeah, it was almost like it was too late. That It was like, you know, once they had kind of got bust open, they didn't, you know, the genie was out of the bottle. They didn't know how to bring it back for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, And if you could have
3: used to... The, th- the Kings have done every other team in the competition uh, an enormous disservice because they have given the Waratahs confidence like they couldn't have got from anywhere else. I'll guarantee you the Waratahs will not face a team that doesn't contest the breakdown ever again <laughs> because it was so obvious. But... <laughs> From the Tars' point of view, it's fantastic news for them because they will have come out of there thinking, ah, that's how we this works. Mm. The danger with it, though, is they play like that next week against a team like the Stormers who will not give them the breakdown. Yeah. And they're so busy trying to run it and play wide that a team attacks the breakdown and they'll lose their ball all the time. Yeah. So it's a bit of a balancing act, but they will have got so much confidence out of that.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the, the standout player, which everyone, who everyone's been talking about, is Israel Folau. And one of the things that struck me in watching him about what is it about this guy, because I'd missed his league career and hadn't seen any of him in AFL, um, is that he, he's, just, he's, he's like trying to tackle black caviar. He's like trying to tackle a racehorse because his gait and his stride is, is, is so long and yet so quick and powerful. Um, he just gets his legs through these tackles. And there, there are guys who are like, I've got him, I've got him, my God, he's gone. Um, and it's not like a raw speed, but it's kind of like a, a one-two strides and he's kind of, you know, you, you can't get your arms around these legs because they're so long and he's, he's just kind of gone. And he the number of times he's done, he did it last week against the Bulls. He did it again, you know, in those couple of, first couple of tries. And they were both tries where you just kind of thought, well, or one I think he set up and another one uh, that he scored, where you just kind of thought, wow, he really shouldn't have got through there, but he did. He's just got this amazing natural ability, hasn't he?
3: Yeah. Well, mate, you, you living in England, as you said, missed his rugby league career. I think I've probably seen just about every game he played in rugby league. Mm. That's what he was like. Mm. They're better defenders in rugby league and, and and a better defensive system. But he would do that sort of thing in league as well. So... He always had that potential. Right. Um, it's just been a matter of him finding his feet in Union. But how about some of the high balls he took too? How they amazing? How high does he get off the ground? Yeah,
2: yeah.
3: He. I wrote my note, my note that I had, the first note that I had in the game, Falau, unbelievable. Yeah. And as you know, I've been rapping him all year saying he is going to be something special. But I was just in awe of what he was doing. Yeah. Well, you- like you say, he's running... But I, I thought his high ball work, um, his positioning is—he's getting every game. He just gets exponentially better. Mm. They're well, not little gains he's making; they are massive gains he's making. Yeah,
2: well, it really is—it's—it's writing it's some drama, isn't it? We're going to talk about this in a minute. What that means uh, for Wallaby selection and all sorts of stuff, but um, it, it's definitely writing the drama just, into the I, game. Yeah,
3: go ahead. go ahead. I'll tell you the other guy who I thought was. Fantastic, mm. Cam Crawford. Yeah, he had a great game, didn't he? And, but he's had a number of great games. Mm. So for a guy to be picked out of effectively club rugby, mm. um, he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he can kick. Yeah, really good, really good find. And I know he's he's not he wasn't unknown to them. But you know, to be outside the squad and come in is great. And the only downer on it was again they only won fifty percent of their lineouts. They didn't mm. have that many this time
0: because
3: mm-hmm. the ball was in play. But I thought it was interesting. I was watching tonight before we came on. I was just reviewing some of the lineouts, and in, with about nine minutes to go, Ulungia um, overthrows one of the lineouts. Mm-hmm. He just threw too early, didn't give the guys time. Dave Dennis absolutely blew up at him. Did he? So it's something obviously they've been working really hard on, and yeah. Dave Dennis was so pissed off. Yeah. He. Uh, yeah, you know, some very colourful language directed straight at him. Yeah. So, um, well, they're I said, obviously frustrated. Because well, they 44% won the week before and 50% won this week. So.
2: It's just not good enough, is it? Um, it but I'd say, you're talking about Dave Dennis. I thought he had an excellent game. Um, I know you've written him this season about, uh, you know, he's he's, he's a kind of um, effort and in getting into breakdowns and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, just his stats in the game was I think he, he walked away with uh, 17 tackles, which I think were topped um, for, the, for the Waratahs and something like uh, a dozen rucks that he hit, which was up, up towards the top of the Tars. Um, he, he worked his ass off, I thought, and whenever things were looking ropey around the breakdown, he was usually there um, clearing out. I think, he had a, I think he had a lot to do with uh, keeping their ball going.
3: Well, what's the thing I've been writing him about all year? Yeah. About it's been yeah. how often he gets into the breakdown. And mm. he was running at, you know, 3 and 4% of all breakdowns where he was actually first into the breakdown. Mm. And the last few weeks, he's really stepped it up. Mm. He had, on the weekend, he was first into breakdowns 14% of the time.
2: My God, that's off the charts.
3: It, it just off the charts. He's now lifted his average up to 7% for the season. So he's... Mm. In the last few weeks, he's gone from way behind everybody to all of a sudden he's doing so much work that he's actually caught them all up. So yeah. <laughs> he he is he listened to me. He must have been reading the site.
2: <laughs> indeed, indeed. No, that's exactly what you give him, give him a fairly a serve about. But um, yeah, I thought he was a he was a he was a, a big change for them. Um,
0: yeah.
3: the,
2: the, the other winger, and he, he kind of we we had to kind of choose because Digby. Had been uh, had such a great game. Peter Beetham, I thought, looked good as well. Had a slightly different game to Cam Crawford, um, but uh, you know, he was quite electric and quite creative, I thought, as well. I mean, that whole back three just had a great game.
3: Yeah, I, I watched, you know, my, in fact, I think I watched all of Peter Beetham's game in the uh, ITM Cup last year, mm. and he was outstanding. He has just continued on with that form. Mm. And, and then... so he spent some time at the Rebels previously, didn't he? Yes, he did, yeah. But, but didn't ever actually crack it. But mm. he, he looked fantastic. Yeah. He looked a real threat. And as you say, those three guys at the back, I know Drew Mitchell's injured, but ha- how would you replace one of those three with Drew Mitchell?
2: Yeah. No, I think um, Drew which might... Is,
3: which is incredible.
2: Yeah, I think Drew should maybe just book up the uh, French classes um, from, from now on in. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then the other guy, now, we've got a regular commenter on the site um, goes by the name of The Rant uh said today on our team of the week was because as bernard foley was uh 10 in it was our number 10 in the team of the week um was sort of like guys he keeps making these teams of the week um but you know not even he doesn't even get talked about as far as contention for Wallabies uh he said look i know he wouldn't make it but you know if you're going to put him in a you know surely he should should at least be in the list somewhere um how are you tracking his progress to my eye he looked like he was playing a lot of flatline rugby, I thought, on the weekend, um, putting a lot of people in holes, as well as his own... He made some absolutely fantastic runs. Kicking is still a worry, but um, he seems to be getting more and more comfortable in this kind of playmaker role.
3: Yeah, look, he, when he runs, he looks like a Stevens player, mm. which is a good thing, because mm. he, he is very agile. He uh, the big difference from him at the beginning of the season to where he is now is the fact, as you say, he's flattened up, yeah. so he's creating a lot more opportunity for guys by doing that and teams will have been watching him and looking at his run capability he's now a real threat at 10 so they have to watch him closely which gives room to the guys outside so I think he's progressed really well he's nowhere near Wallaby selection um, because he's still, he's very green, but Give him another year. And one thing I must say, that I've liked that Checker has, you know, and obviously Checker's a guy who couldn't care less what everybody else says, but he has said, my halves need time together. And and they are, every week they play together, they're getting a combination, they're getting better and better.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So, yeah, Foley, you know, despite the fact that there was talk about who else might be 10, he's clearly decided, McKibben's my halfback. Foley's my 10, and I am going to give them time together. And they are really growing together. Mm. But, yeah, Foley, I, I think he's a great talent. And give him another year, and maybe we will see him as a Wallabies contender. He certainly he's a long way away from that at the moment.
2: Yeah. Well, I think they've really, you know, they are managing, they're starting to orchestrate that back line, aren't they? Because the other guy who's playing an interesting role is Adam Ashley Cooper. I, I think, I don't know whether it's with his partner off to, Um, France that's done it um, or whether it's you know Checker's style or Gaffney or who it is but to me he's really lifted this year and he's like one of the key things I thought I you know he was doing a lot on the weekend is like things like clear outs um, you know counter rucks um, as well as some abrasive uh, defence but um, he's really putting a lot of punch in there at 13 and it just seems that they are managing to kind of get this orchestrate you're talking about it there, the combinations. They're slowly getting these or they're managing to get these combinations and obviously a game like the weekend really gave them a chance to practice that like you were saying. But um, you know, the way that those back three connect with Foley, you know, Adam you know, Ashley Cooper knowing what his, what his role is and, and playing that well. You know, it's a different back line from the Reds, for example, and very different from the Brumbies, who we're just about to come on to. But they seem to be finally kind of figuring out how they all kind of work together, aren't they?
3: Yeah. Well, when was the last time you had a change at 9, 10, 12, 13? Mm. They've played together for weeks now. Mm. The biggest change for Adam Ashley Cooper, I've, I've always thought he's the number one thirteen 13 in the country. Mm. The difference this year, he's that's it. He hasn't played anywhere else, has he? I can't remember him playing anywhere other position. If you think about the Brumbies, the Waratahs, and the Wallabies in the past, every week he seemed to change position. Mm. You just can't develop the rhythm. And we finally got a coach who has said, you're my number 13, unless you're injured, and look what we're getting. Mm. And uh, uh, he was outstanding. But I must say, the whole Waratahs, the game plan, the way they're playing, the intent they're showing, I love it. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what I, how I think rugby should be played and they're getting the reward yep. it, it won't work all the time but they're having a crack I, I think it's fantastic and I really enjoyed watching that game it's a game I'm going to watch again
2: mm. no, it's, 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 a, it's a cracker ok so next game was the Bulls uh, they demolished the Hurricanes 48-14 uh, what was that like in a sentence?
3: Actually, I I did miss that one. Okay. That's not one I watched.
2: Okay. Well, they, I think the score line probably says a fair bit about that. Bulls starting to look fairly ominous. Actually, they're topping um, their table there. It'll be interesting to see how that progresses. Um, and then yeah, the, they're
3: a different team at home, aren't they, too? <laughs> when they're on the
2: road? Yeah, that's for sure. Although, what, did they pull? They, did they get a win or two in New Zealand? I'm trying to remember. Um, but yeah, no, at home, my God, we got to keep them out of a home semi. Um, then the Brumbies uh, going down 23-30 to the Crusaders and interesting ones. I mean, I, mean, I remember us talking last week uh, about this. Um, I think you persuaded me to tip the Brumbies. Um, and, you know, we've, we've talked about the beautiful rugby they can play, but then it can come unstuck. And it did come unstuck on Sunday, didn't
3: it? Yeah, but, but if you look at the first 10 minutes, oh, yeah. I know it was a intercept try. Yeah, try. They came out. They looked like they were the Brumbies that we've not seen all season. Mm. And then the Crusaders grabbed them by the throat and took control of the game. Mm. And the Brumbies, the worrying thing was, they had no way to fight back against it. Mm. Um, just as I said, the Reds couldn't adapt to what was going on from the opposition. Um, the Brumbies were much the same. And the, the Crusaders got their foot on their throat and they didn't let up. Yeah. And... Um, you know, they, they attacked them all over the park. Uh, the Brumbies didn't play badly, but they, they were a long way away from where they've been. Mm. I, I, so was it just they were flat or was... It, I didn't notice anything the Crusaders did that you'd say that's the way to get the Brumbies off their game. Mm. They just played really well. They seemed to wake up the Crusaders and the Brumbies, maybe they, maybe they were a bit flat. Mm-hmm. I
2: couldn't help but think, and if you look at the stats, maybe this is talking to it a little bit. Um, I tried to pull up Rucking Good stats as a fantastic chart that shows you, um, you know, territory over time as a graph, um, so you get a very good picture, picture of it. But if I just look at the overall stats of that game, uh, the Crusaders um, had more kick meters, 985 kick meters to 810 from the Brumbies. Um, 24 kicks to 22 so it's not necessarily you know vast the amount of kick volume although they're both fairly high but Crusaders got the edge on that and they ran less than the the Brumbies they made the Brumbies run 710 meters to their 568 um, for about the same number of runs I couldn't help but think you know did we basically see a little bit of Dan Carter masterclass there of game management and if you wanted to make this Brumbies team feel uncomfortable, you'd make them play out of their own half, wouldn't you? Um, and, you know, they to me it felt like we, were, we, were, we watched the Brumbies squirming in their own half, um, you, know, you know, quite a bit. And, you know, I couldn't help but think that that had something to do with that guy, Dan Carter.
3: Yeah, well, the, the, the Brumbies are trying to play in that regard what the Crusaders have always done. Yeah, the Crusaders. You know, we all think about you know this great attacking team and they score tries, but they always put the ball down the other end. They mm-hmm. never play in their half, and that's that's a feature of the Brumbies' game and it's worked really well for them. But they were out Brumbied or they weren't <laughs> up to the Crusaders' level of what they did, as mm-hmm. you say. You know, it just forced them to run the ball when that's not their game. Yeah. Um, didn't help that you know a guy like Jesse Mogg was off on the day Mm. didn't didn't happen he he it's been actually you know a few weeks since we've seen him counter-attack but the crusaders were all over that they weren't going to let him counter-attack um he didn't kick well and that's a big part of the brumbies and nick white didn't kick that well either Mm. he was he was you know a long way short of his best Mm.
2: yeah i'd I'd have to watch that you know
3: don't forget the crusaders you know they're a very good side. They just haven't been in form this year. Well, and again, the Brumbies might have played them into form too. Yeah.
2: Well, I I'd have to watch that game again, but I I can't help but feel that the Crusaders knew exactly what they were looking at when they had a look at the Brumbies, and um, you know knew how to make them feel uncomfortable. And uh, and I wonder because the other thing that we saw, which and actually somebody tweeted to me, I can't remember who it was, but said, um, you know, Jesse Mogg might have a great left foot, but the right one's not so good, is it? Um. And, uh, and I just wonder if there's a few little things like that the Crusaders had just done their homework, um, as far as you know, were the sort of situations they wanted to put Mog in um, and those sorts of things, because uh, he did kind of look like he cracked under a little bit of pressure there. And if there's anybody who, I think,, you know, has some of that wisdom about them, then um, it would be Carter in that back line. Um, it was a good old arm wrestle for the first half. I think they went in about eight, they went in about 11 all, I think, um, at half time, if I remember right. Um, and then the Crusaders got away in the second half. I thought the, the back row, Smith and Moen both had very good games, although I think you know, maybe the, just the, the Crusaders may, maybe managed to get over the top of Smith by the second half. Um, but, uh, and the, the other player who, who's, still, who's still, starting, still looking good despite the game, I think Matt Tamua had uh, another nice game where he sparkled a bit as well.
3: I thought Matt Tamu played well. Um, I didn't think George Smith had that great a game. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen lots of people talk about it. and I, I went back and watched the game today. He did some good things, don't get me wrong, but he he wasn't as good as he's been. Um, I, I, and I saw everyone talking about how great he was and he was everywhere. And I think you might have said there were four of them on the field mm-hmm. uh, to make up for the White Locks. But, you know, I, I didn't see that. Mm. Um, but I'm not saying he had a bad game. Don't get me wrong, and nor did Moen, but you don't have to be far off when you're playing a top team like the Crusaders um, for them to do a bit of a number on you, and they did for a while, but, but again, all credit to the Brumbies, and this is the makings of a championship team. All was dead and buried, and Ben Moen scored that try. I loved his reaction after the try. Yeah. He didn't, you know, just go, oh, yeah, well, we made a try. He was, you drop that ball over, we're getting back, we're going to score again, let's go, we can still win this game. Mm. He's a very good leader, isn't
2: he? Yeah, no, he's very good. No, I, I think he's another one of these guys who's you know, he's really picked up into that, into that role. Um, uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think, Anything? what else came out of that game, apart from I think Brumby's kind of scratched the head and I- back to the drawing board.
3: I'll tell you what came out of the game, which I was surprised with, but it's been a bit of a trend the last few weeks. The Brumby scrum improved fantastically when Dan Palmer went off. Yeah. Uh, Wyatt Crockett, he had it over it. He, uh, he was scrummaging at 11 o'clock, and Dan Palmer couldn't cope with him. Mm. Um, and he, he didn't have a happy game. I mean we know he doesn't do a lot of work around the park I didn't I didn't think he was was that active and then Scott Seo came on and made him look like he should be on the bench. Yeah. So I was I was really quite surprised with Dan Palmer's performance.
2: Mm. But Scott, so Scott Seo this was another bone of contention this today. But did who did um was did Ben Alexander swap across when Seo came on? Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. So Seo a a head.
2: Yeah. So so, um, but so, it was, so, it was, so, here's the funny thing, so that what we're saying, that Ben, ben, Alexander, ben Alexander, who I think we've ridden for a while now about whether he should ever play tight, actually moved across and the scrum improved.
3: That's exactly right. Mm. And that's, that's where I say it was such a quantum leap, is that when I, I, I don't rate Ben Alexander at tight head. Mm. Don't ride a loose head. I, I'll rate him on the bench. <laughs> Absolutely because yeah. um, he is a good scrummager on both sides off the bench. Mm. He's that sort of guy. Um, but he was that much better than Dan Palmer, significantly better. Mm. And I, I think that's a bit of a worry because I have rated Dan Palmer for a long time as an absolute must mm. to have as the Wallabies' starting tighthead. The last three weeks, not so. Well, he's
2: he's also not getting the game time. Now,
3: now, the the thing That's another
2: worry, isn't it? Well, the thing that's either... So, is it coincidence? I mean, I think he had a little injury about that stage, but then didn't... Isn't that about the time that it all got confirmed that he was moving? Um, You know, and and I'm just wondering, you know, am I reading too much into this? But, I mean, I would agree with you that it's been about that time period that you know, remember when we had him on the podcast, I think we were all sitting there going, wow, this guy is our scrum genius. What are we going to do when he moves on? And actually, it's kind of since then that it kind of feels like we just haven't been seeing the same stuff.
3: Well, the interesting thing was the Brumbies only had four of their own scrums during the whole game. Mm. Two when Dan Palmer was on. Now, even if you give the Crusaders all of their scrums, which they won anyway, um yeah and and all of those two scrums, the Brumbies went on, they lost one because they went early, and that was Dan Palmer going early, and they won one, so fifty percent return his around the field performance has slipped. that's where I think he's going backwards, and I think that's why he's being replaced because mm. the coaches are looking at it saying, "Well, look, the crusaders might be packing a fair number of scrums, but we're not getting any scrums. we're getting more lineouts, and we're getting more around the park that we need." So bring Dan off. Um, His his return, which early in the year was pretty good around the park, has dropped off. But as I said, he's scrummaging. White Crockett, um, because he's a tall loose head, he's always going to scrum at 11 o'clock and therefore feed in on the tight head. Mm. And, you know, very different from a loose head like Ben Robinson, who, because he's a short guy, will scrum at 12 o'clock and he'll get under the tight head and Mm. lift him up. You know Crockett being a, a tall guy gets outside him and drives in um and Palmer just didn't seem to be able to cope with it mm-hmm. so I was concerned with that, but I've been concerned for the last three weeks so that was the negative out of the game for me
2: mm. well it's and it's interesting because I think what we swapped, we swapped a tweet uh, over the weekend or I saw one from you which talked about so therefore and actually i i'm I'm preempting a a discussion actually which talks about who we have so when let, let's come on to that in a second show we will talk about um yeah. wallaby selection and front race selections so i think that's a really interesting point in itself but anyway that look that brings us to the end of the, the games um on, on the weekend then um i'm just trying to see i don't have it i'm just trying to put an overall super rugby ladder in front of me just, um for the whole conference or the whole competition Which is a bit of a problem obviously Because we've all got these extra games on the other guys So um, in some ways it's not that useful uh, But so if, The Brumbies
3: is still on top yeah, 41. 41
2: points and then it's the Chiefs Who are leading the New Zealand Conference On 40, the Bulls yep. Leading South Africa on 37 um, the Reds have got the wild card there on 39. The Blues have got the, the another one on 36. And then you've got the Cheaters. Wow, Cheaters in the top six. Isn't that amazing? And outside of them, yeah. the Crusaders. Uh, interesting enough, the Waratahs on 30. So how far? So considering the Cheaters are in there on a wild card on 35, Waratahs are out on 30, but probably a game up. Um, but uh, wolf well, if they have an absolute, if they if that confidence keeps them going, are they are they in, in with a shout or maybe an outside chance?
3: Well, this weekend I reckon tells the story. Yeah. So for me, so the Waratahs play the Stormers. Good news is they've got them at home, which will help. Is it a Sunday afternoon game? No, bad yeah, luck. A, if it was Sunday. a Sunday afternoon game, <laughs> they'd be good. But yeah. uh, here's a team that will not give them the latitude that Kings gave them last week. They yeah. will. Attack them at the breakdown. They'll have, uh, they won't use a passive defense. They'll use an aggressive defense. And if the Waratahs get over them in terms of points, it's huge for them because then I think they're in contention. Mm. If they don't, they're right on the precipice again. Mm. So to me, this is a crucial week for the Waratahs, not just in terms of the points, but whether or not they really can compete against these top sides. The last time they played a top side against the uh, Chiefs, uh, I mean, I thought the Waratahs played well that day. The Chiefs didn't play that well, mm. um, but I think the Waratahs have grown since then. But this will be the test of how far they've grown.
2: Mm. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to so, be a fascinating game. Um, yeah, and like that's uh, Saturday night in Sydney. Um, we might as well just I'll just rattle through what the games are um, then on the weekend. So you have got the Force away at the Chiefs. Uh, you know, see what they can see if they can upset the Chiefs again, who have had a bit of a rocky road, as we've been talking about. Um, they've got the Reds hosting the Sharks at some Um You got uh, the Cheaters and hosting the Hurricanes. Uh, another interesting game there. Um, and then on, that's that's all on Friday, actually. And then over. And so yeah, because so the uh, Cheaters game will be over over sort of early Saturday morning. Then you've got Saturday, you've got uh, the Blues um, hosting the Rebels. Um, that's the afternoon game. Waratahs, Stormers is the evening. And then the Kings and the Highlanders, um, which will kind of be uh, overnight. And the bye is the Brumbies, the Bulls and the Crusaders. Um,
3: yeah. So I think the two rounds or games of the round will be the Reds and the Sharks. Mm-hmm. And the Reds are really going to have to lift their performance. I know the Sharks, I think, have lost three in a row. But... They've got a terrible record against the Sharks recently, and they cannot play like they played against the Force with their constrained attack. Mm. They will not beat the Sharks like that. Mm. And then the other, the other game in the round for me, Waratah Stormers. Yeah. I, that's going to be it. that's a game I'm really looking forward to.
2: Two big games, yeah. And then because uh, because otherwise we've got some big guns on by, you know, the Brumbies, Bulls, and Crusaders. So yeah, I think those two ones kind of stick out. Um, okay. Yeah. So look, that's that's looking forward, looking ahead to next weekend. No tips to help Timsey. He's been get, um, I think he's actually ahead of me on the tipping comp, so I'm not giving him any more help. Um, so let's let's talk about news uh, before we have Sharpie on in a little while. Um, probably the biggest news that's been going around has been player movement. It's about you know it's it's you know it's all happening, isn't it? Um, right now. So uh, the one that kind of came out of left field over the weekend um, was Alfie Murphy off to Japan. Um, He's been released by the force early. I think there'd already been talk about him going at the end of the season, but uh, I think you mentioned to me, Scott, uh, a couple of weeks ago, he got uh, stood down uh, from a game for a disciplinary matter. It sounds like that hasn't got any better. And they've said, um, this is a problem. Um, You can go, mate. And, I don't know what, I haven't even heard a whisper of what those things were, but I think this is like his third club in three seasons or something like that. So it's not a it's a real pity though because, um, you know, people were talking about him as a potential Wallaby at one stage. You know, we had I think he had six tries from his first five starts or something like that.
3: Yeah, look, he's been playing well, but I, I think he was named in the Brumbies starting team or the team to play against the Brumbies two weeks mm. ago. And then after the team had been named, they came out and said, no, he's not available due to disciplinary reasons. And whether something more happened after that or whether whatever happened, and I haven't seen any rumour. There's been nothing on any of the forums or Twitter or even the back channels to say what happened. But the force have come out and made it pretty clear that that's just not acceptable and we're not, that's not the culture of this club anymore. Mm. And he's out of here. We knew we knew he was going to Japan, but released immediately. So I think good on the force. If something, I mean, we don't know what happened, so mm. I'm, I'm guessing. But if there's something serious has happened, I think that's what you need for the culture of a team or a club is mm. no nonsense, no dickheads allowed in this club.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I just there was a, there was so it says here. So this is the from the. Uh, from Rugby Heaven. Um, due to in this is the quote, a number of infringements of team standards and disciplinary indiscretions. So it's a number uh, that, that they've done and then I thought there was another quote in here talking about, here it is, the force won't reveal the exact nature of that breach but said it didn't involve any untoward behavior towards the public or public property. Um, so it's an interesting one. It it, it kind of like sounds like he I don't know he just hasn't been turning up or he's told somebody to get stuffed or something like that. Um, anyway, hard
3: to know. Yeah, so so they're they're clearly taking a, a hard line. Mm. I'm sure if there was something, you know, we've seen recently the publicity about Kurtley Beale and you know his incidents. Even without the original tweet coming out telling us what had happened, things started to leak. Nothing's mm-hmm. leaked here, mm-hmm. um, but they're, they're clearly taking a very hard line. And when well, you've got a team that or a club that hasn't gone well, and that's the force, and you've got to make changes to it, mm-hmm. well, that's a good way to do it. And you know, and sometimes there's got to be a sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Sometimes you have to look at it and say, we will show players that no dickheads allowed here. And you know, maybe I'm not suggesting this at all. I'm just guessing, but. Sometimes, you know, someone makes a mistake and you look at it and go, well, he's going to Japan anyway. So, righto, he's the sacrificial wing.
2: Well, yeah, that's the other way you look at it. But, um, and, you know, the other bit I'd heard someone put two and two together was saying, well, you know, at the same time, you've got Nick Cummins, he's come back. Um, you know, they've got a few back three options there now. You know, how necessary is he? But um, I don't think, unless there was something else on his side, I. I I think that would be a bit a bit drastic. But I mean, I think the thing about the force is that they strike me as that you know, they're a bunch of battlers. You know, they don't have many of the kind of glittering stars like you take the rebels, for example. They've got some of those big names who we were just talking about, though, can go spectacularly off the rails as well. Um, for the force, you know, they don't have that, so they're not, you know, they're not blessed with all the X Factor players. But what they do do is they kind of they knuckle down and they give you a performance like they did on Friday night. Um, and if you're going to do that, to your point, you, just, you you can't have any prima donnas or anybody who's not tying the line. And so, you know, good on them, I guess, if um, if that's the situation. But um,
3: well, this is on the back of I'm not sure the new CEO has started yet, mm-hmm. but a new CEO coming in who I think is Mark Sindlebury, who was the Ex CEO of the Brumbies, um, who's been out of rugby for a while but has come back in, who, from what I've heard, is a no nonsense character and very big on the culture of the place. But, you know, going to that, and we're about to get onto the topic of player movement, the force, they're actually starting to recruit quite well for next year.
2: Yeah, so let's let's get into that then. So, who, who are they bringing in?
3: Well, so for, they've picked up from um, the Reds, they've got Luke Morahan. Mm hmm. So there's you know another outside back option for them. Uh, they've got Zach Holmes going over, mm-hmm. uh, or going back, isn't it? I think he was there previously. Mm-hmm. They've got Ian Pryor from the Brumbies. So another half back option. I guess that means that Brett Sheehan's probably close to moving on because Albie Mathieson's there. I'm not sure how they go with their foreign players. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so they're starting to pick up a few players. They're actually they're out there actively recruiting. And, you know, I, I think the AAU have talked about giving some extra foreign player spots to help them along. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether we've seen anything released about that, but they have certainly said that the Force and the Rebels need some extra foreign player spots mm-hmm. just to get them over that hump.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, so I, I... they're building a team for next year.
2: Yeah. Okay, and so, and then uh, we, we had some other big name kind of movements, I mean, obviously we know about the, the Dan Palmer, and we've touched, we've tucked on that, um, because the other piece of news was that, you know, Digby's signing for some huge amount of money with uh, Racing Metro, and I, I found Star it... Stade Francais. That, uh, sorry, Stade Francais, is it?
3: He's going to be in pink.
2: Ah, uh, there you go, well, oh, he, he, he won't mind that. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's really funny, I mean, you know, it was on, I think it was the... Uh, what, what used to, whatever it's called, Rugby HQ now. They're um, you know, talking about, oh, how great it's going to be. Him, you know, living in Paris—that'll uh, be interesting. Uh, Stigby strikes me as a man whose family is pretty important to him. Paris in cold, grey winter is a long, long way away. Um, w- 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 we'll see. But it's nice summer. <laughs> yeah, it's very nice in summer when you, <laughs> when, when, <laughs> when he'll be back here. Um So, yeah, but we'll see what that's like in, um you know, and, and they make them play a uh, long, long season. So, anyway, but f- b- big chunk of money. What I find
3: interesting mm. is that we're in the mid-season and we've got all this player movement. So, if you think about the Reds, mm. the Reds have got Luke Moran's gone to the fourth, John Lance has been announced he signed for the Tars, Digby's going to France, um there's a lot of speculation that both the Fajangas will go, whether that's correct or not. That hasn't been announced yet. Go to the Waratahs. We know that Drew Mitchell's gone. We know uh, Siddileki Tamani's gone. We know that uh, Drew Mitchell's gone. Uh, we know Beric Barnes is gone. Mm-hmm. He's going to Panasonic in Japan.
2: Uh, petty Tamani.
3: Yeah, he's gone to the Rebels. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go down to the Brumbies. We know Dan Palmer's gone. We know Peter kimlin has gone. We know Ian Pryor's gone. We know Zach Holmes is gone. Um, we know Colby Fienger has moved to the Rebels. Mm. Um, we go down to the Rebels and we there's lots of speculation that Kirtley Beal wants to move to New South Wales, yeah. I think, championed by Phil Kearns. Mm. Uh, uh, we know that uh, Gareth Delve apparently won't be back because of the foreign player requirements. We know Jed Robertson won't be back because of the foreign player thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know that uh, Richard Kingy's gone. He's gone to... uh, He's gone to France as well. Uh, We know that... uh, Who else has gone from the Rebels? Somebody else has gone. Oh, there's lots of speculation that Luke Jones will sign for the Waratahs. So there's all this player movement going on. We've got Mm. players left, right and centre. And I mean, I guess that's the way of the game. It's a professional game and, you know, you look for your opportunities and you take the dollar when you can get it and you look for the best opportunity.
2: But I mean, there's got to be some sort of timing thing here. I mean, is it, you know, I guess it's, you know, end of the Northern Hemisphere season. Has that got something to do with it? Everyone's looked at their roster for next year and, these guys have been kind of... I mean, I know not all these moves are north, but there's a few chunk of, uh, fair chunk of them there looking to France. It feels like something's kind of pushed this into action because it's got quite busy just recently, hasn't
3: it? It has, but there's a lot of movement within our conferences. That's true. Within our conference, actually. you know, So the Force picking up a number of guys, the Waratahs picking up... And don't forget Nick Phipps has left. That's the other guy I couldn't think. He's left the Rebels. He's going to the mm. Tars. Mm. So... It's a lot of interconference movement that's going on, which, you know, it's pretty early in the season for that sort of thing. But, mm. you know, guys are building squads for next year.
2: Well, I'm going to shoot from the hip there as far as two things that I think. I mean, I mean obviously, you know, traditionally, you know, New South Wales and Queensland tend to have a pretty good hold on some of the top players. And, you know, I think with the TARS, was, there was a story only a little while ago about just how many of them were off contract at the end of the season, which I think we talked about in one of the podcasts and said jokingly, you know, Michael Checker, he, he probably won't be too unhappy with that, <laughs> um, you know, wanting a bit of a shake up, And I think he's probably del- deliberately left that a little bit open because I think he's looking to shape that team. So that's a great opportunity for him to do that. And then if the, you know, if the rumors are to to be believed, you know, there's a little bit of um, a few question marks up there at the Reds, right? Um, As far as with you and Mackenzie off, you know, what's the new regime look like? How many people want to be there for that change? Any change always unsettles people one way or another. But um, I've even heard there was, where was there? There was a story about the Reds potentially asking Mackenzie to rethink about whether he really needs to move on or not. Um, and I would Mate, get that
3: came from Greg Rowden. Oh, well, seriously. Okay, sorry, I've, I've got to be careful of my sources now.
2: Um, but um, anyway, but I've you know I've you know there's been those rumbles going on about that change of the Reds ever since it kind of got announced whenever it was you know, yeah. about a year ago. So, but I mean, if you, if you I think if you, a lot if
3: you... of that, we got put to bed. Uh, got put to bed today with James Hall re-signing. Mm.
2: Well, James um, Hall was never going to go anywhere else. Come on.
3: Well, but. The rumours, you know, and Greg Groudon repeated the rumours that have been around, that there's a number of Wallabies, particularly forwards, who weren't happy about the change at the Reds. Mm. They wanted Link as their coach, their forwards coach, for next year. Now, I've got to believe that if that's correct, that Hall would would be one of those guys not happy. Mm. I can't imagine the forward pack, which he's the leader of, are unhappy if he's not unhappy, and yet he's re-signed. So, mm. I don't know. I, I think that might have put the end to some of those rumours today.
2: Yeah. Although, I, I, you know, I, James Hall will move in from Queensland. I don't know, mate. I, I have to, yeah. That would be one of the last moves that I think you'd expect to see. But
3: anyway, well, I don't think he'd move, but mm. I think if there was some player unrest the threat of him maybe not being there would have been enough for them to say, let's address it, let's let's come up with some solutions that you're all happy with. So mm. what I'm saying is the fact that he's re-signed, they either fixed the issues or came up with a solution that everyone was happy with or there wasn't the unhappiness in the first place.
2: Mm. Yeah, oh, I'm, okay, That maybe. I don't know. I've, I think we've all heard it and I don't think... I don't think Groudy was just making it up that there's been a few rumbles coming out of there. Um, Def- de-
3: definitely been rumors yeah. No doubt about it. Mm. I've heard the rumors quite independently of what Greg Groudon said, yeah. uh, but they're all rumors yeah, they haven't, yeah. haven't you know haven't really got anything that you would say that's sort of something a little bit stolid mm. but but again, there could have been unhappiness. And maybe they've sat down and said, all right, this is the program. This is what we're going to do. This is how it's going to run next year. And maybe they've all said, okay, we can live with that.
2: I mm.
3: don't know. Speculation.
2: Well, I mean, the one thing I guess where I was coming, where this conversation started was, you know, one of the, if you've got those two biggest provinces, which, and I know it's the gripe of people like Rupert, who tend to hold on to so much um, depth, you know, they call it warehousing of player talent. Um, and I guess if once you start getting some musical chairs at those two big places, for, and it could be for lots of different reasons, Reasons, some of them rumoured or not that we just talked about, then I guess that starts the merry-go-round everywhere else. Um, so maybe, maybe they're two contributing factors. But within all of this, there's some really interesting discussion. Um, now, one of the people that uh, is what, one person that gets talked about, we've talked about him earlier in the show, um, Israel Folau and, you know, where he's going to be in a year's time. Um, lots of question. Everyone's saying that, the, that these league clubs are going to pull out um, amazing offers for him. But but I think it was towards the end of last week, uh, Jake White uh, piped up. Um, and always with these things, you think about what the vested interests are um, for Jake. But um, his point was, I believe there was a quote along the lines of, it would be, you know, an indictment on the Wallabies jumper if Israel Folau was to be selected Considering he 's kind of blown in in one season he 's pr- almost definitely going to be out the next, um, and that 's raised a, quite a bit of a philosophical discussion hasn 't it because if you look at a number of different players now, so let me take a- another example let 's say Digby so now we know Digby 's off um, you 'd say in most people 's back three Digby would be one of the wingers, especially if he 's playing like he did on the weekend, but you know Digby 's future with the wallabies is even more certain than it is that with Israel Folau and that we're certain he won't be able to play next year because he'll be in France. So does that mean that he shouldn't be counted? Uh, and, and it doesn't seem like anyone seems to think that's the case. So it's an interesting philosophical question then. Well, even if we knew Folau was going back to league, what's the problem with his, him playing if it's okay for for Digby?
3: Yeah, it's the same for Siddalliki Tamani, Beric Barnes, Drew Mitchell... Uh, all guys who would be in consideration for at least the wider squad. Mm. Uh, Dan Palmer, same thing with him. Uh, they're all leaving the country, so they're not going to be available. You know, they may come back for 2015. Mm. I guess the difference with all of those guys that are just nominated is that they've been here for a while. Yeah, they've given years of service, and then might make a decision, and. Certainly Digby said he wants to come back for the 2015 World Cup. I know Beric Barnes has said the same thing. Um, so they're rugby guys. I mean, Beric Barnes was originally a league guy. Sorry, originally a union guy, then a league guy, back to union. Mm. But they're they're more union-based and have put in the hard yards. Folau rocked up this year, mm-hmm. and the rumours are getting stronger that he's not going to be here next year. Mm. But he, you know... I guess if you're going to select him, you would hope that the question gets asked, are you here? Mm. And, you know, you've got to look a guy in the eye. I don't know that you need him to actually sign on the dotted line, but you've got to look him in the eye and say, Israel, what are you doing? Well, see, but are it's you a... going to leave? Have you signed?
2: But it's an interesting thing, though, see, because that's where the uh, inconsistency is, because we're saying, I can look Digby in the eye and say, mate, are you going to be here next year? And he'd have to say, back to me, no, I'm not. And all the other guys. So... I guess, I mean, Israel, yeah, but he's, he's he, not a blow-in. Yeah, but so that's different. Yeah. But that doesn't fix it, right? So we knew the guy was a blow-in when we signed him, when we paid him, when the ARU paid him four hundred thousand dollars. He was by definition a blow-in. So if you're saying, hang on, if you're a blow-in, we can't pick you. Well, hang on, well, then don't pay him four hundred thousand dollars of ARU money, or even pretend that he could be a wallaby. So and asking him if he's going to be here next year doesn't fix the fact that he's been in league or AFL for you know, a, a number of years. I mean, I, in, you know, I'm, 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 take I'm playing... Take it to the next extent. Yeah.
3: Take it to the next level. Nathan Sharp last year, not going to be here next year, guys. I'm retiring. Yeah. Does that mean you don't pick him? Because he's not going to be here for the future?
2: I'm, I'm not arguing that at all. No, I'm saying... Uh, no, 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 that's yeah, what yeah. I'm saying. I'm yeah, saying yeah. if
3: if you went to that next level of saying, if your consideration is, will the guy be here next year, and if he's not going to be here next year well then we shouldn't pick him we should pick the youth we should get pick the guys who are going to be here for the 2015 world cup etc yeah, yeah you could have said the same with sharpie next year yeah i'm not saying that's you should have mm. i'm saying if you if you expand that argument out to saying selections are based on whether they're here next year or not then i think guys like digby and drew mitchell and cedrick Tamani and Dan Palmer, whatever, they've all been part of the scene. Israel Flower's slightly different because he's only come in this year. And when they brought him in and they paid him that money, that was, you know, to a certain extent about publicity. Mm. We're now down to, shall we select him for the Wallabies or not? Mm. Um, We also get back to the George Smith question.
2: Well, I was just about to raise it because this is the opposite, right? Because... You know, there's the argument now, which is, well, is there a guy in Australian rugby who's put more more in over the years than George Smith? Um, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure there is running around, especially with Sharpie just having retired. Uh, yet, you know, there's people that are raising this thing, saying, well, you know, should he be able to play? So, because I think you said John Eels well, is and, out there. And,
3: well, last last week it was you uh, and McKenzie who raised it, and hmm. I, I watched the comments on his article, and he got. You know, from pillar to post, people were you know criticizing him. And, oh, you know, you're only interested in Liam Gill. This is why you're saying it, etc. Mm. Well, now John Eels, who I'm sure will be one of the immortals, they're going to. Uh, what's it? Not the immortals. What are they calling them? The legends of Australian rugby. Anyway, they're about yeah. to vote on these four guys. Yeah. He'll be one of them, and probably our best ever player, best ever captain. More importantly, he's a director of the ARU, and he has written an article now saying the same thing. I don't think there's a, uh, a major concern over that position that we should change our rules for George Smith. Mm. If there was a major problem where we had no number sevens, maybe I could see it, but I, I can't see it. So this is a director of the ARU publicly writing these comments the Wallabies coach is saying, I couldn't really care less about the rules. We'll change the rules. And we've got this public debate going on. And yet one of the legends of the game and a director is saying, I don't know. That's such a good idea that we let him play because he won't be here next year. Well, And I, we have a rule that says yeah. you cannot be contracted to anybody overseas you must only be contracted to an Australian body and he is contracted to Suntory. So for George Smith to play, the Wallabies or the ARU have to waive that rule. Mm. And one of their own directors is saying, I don't know that's such a good idea.
2: Mm. Yeah, there's, a, there's, there's plenty more twists in this, but it's, but it, it, it does make it, there's a fascinating spectrum here now though. that, that isn't there. Um, which is, you know, with each of these different cases. And the one that we all seem to be happy with, or most people are happy with, is, well, you know, if, you play, if you've played here and um, you're contracted to an Aussie team and you've said you're off overseas, but you're still contracted to the Aussie team now, that's all fine, you, should, you can and should be selected. But then we've got these two interesting discussion points. Lau, we're saying, well, he probably hasn't put enough in, even if he's good enough and even if we've paid him and even if we've said, yeah, he might not be here next year just like those other two guys, um, he hasn't put enough in to balance that out, so therefore maybe he shouldn't be selected is is an argument. And now we've got the one with Smith where, you know, God, has anyone put in as much as this guy? Um, Yet we're saying, yeah, but that's probably not enough to wash over the fact that we'd have to change a rule for, for him And, you know, even because we know for sure that he probably won't be here next year. So you've got a real spectrum of argument there, haven't you? It's a a fascinating kind of sets of dilemma. Um, And
3: for me, the solution for me is if you change the rules for George Smith, which I think they should, mm. because he's too valuable not to change the rules for, well, then all bets are off. Then anyone who's currently contracted, going overseas or not, including Israel Folau, All bets are off. Mm. Everyone can be selected. If you're going to break the rules or change the rules to suit one player uh, to get him in, well, then just ignore. There are no rules on the others, but ignore precedent or whatever you want to call it, and just select whoever's available. If they're in the country, contracted, select the best players you've got. Mm. If you choose that George Smith shouldn't, well, that opens up a whole bunch of other things, and who else shouldn't?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, in some ways, actually, I think you kind of just, you, you, can, you can divvy out those two arguments. There's an argument around, you know, whether you have a law in place and whether you keep that or not. And then, there's not, and then the other one is just, well, I don't think it's a discussion. It's just, um, if, it's, if it's all within the rules, Israel Falao is within the rules. He's contracted, uh, he's not contracted with anybody else. Um, if he's playing well enough and he's, he's good enough, then you run him. Uh, yep. i, I don 't see how you argue against that and, it's, it's, and, and
3: I think the same with George Smith. If you change yeah. the rules so he 's within the rules yeah, same thing yeah pick your best players I mean this is if you think about the dollars involved too mm. you know the the wall, wallabies we want them to go out there and win this series because mm. um, it'll it 'll help feed the whole rugby population and people wanting to play rugby it 's very important, so whatever the rules are let 's fix them let 's pick our best. 23. Yeah.
2: Now, speaking about that, uh, you've put up uh, a, a, a great article today. Uh, and we've had a number. We had a few running last week looking at, you know, how did we rank our number 10s? How did we rank our back three? Um, you wrote a great article today. I, I'd suggest we don't go into that in detail, just looking at, again, uh, how, much, how much time we've managed to take up in the podcast. Um, and we've still got an interview to go. But it, it's a very interesting article which uh, basically talks about, I mean, the title of it kind of states that it's, it's main thrust that, you know, you believe that in Robbie Deans and his selection criteria, he will not choose Cooper, Leliofano, nor Mogg in that first test?
3: Yeah, there are two central arguments I say with that. Mm. The first is you pick your team or Robbie Deans will pick his team based on his game plan. Mm. So, if you don't want to play a wide, expansive game plan and move the ball around, why would you pick Quake Cooper? You wouldn't. Um, so, I think it's the wrong game plan. But if that's the game plan you're going with and, and everything he's saying, which is it's going to be brutal, it's going to be tight, we're going to have to fight like hell, he's not expecting a wide, expansive game. He's thinking we're going to play it as tight as if it was a World Cup final. Mm. So, in that case I actually don't think Quake Cooper is the best guy to run that game plan mm. so that's my first argument is that he will pick based on his game plan and that means I think picking not Quake Cooper not Christian Leofano. he'll pick Pat McCabe at 12 he'll play the crash ball he won't run long line outs he'll run short lineouts. Um, and then the second part of the argument is um He's not going on form. Um, He's going to go on experience. He's going to look at it and say, if I have to choose between, let's say, a Jesse Mogg uh, and a Kirtley Beal, I'm going to pick Kirtley Beal. I don't care he hasn't played a lot. I don't care he hasn't got form. He's done it for me in the past, and I'm going to keep him. And if then I had to choose between, let's say, an Israel Folau and a Jesse Mogg, not picking on Jesse Mogg in this argument, but... Well, Israel Folau's played international te- uh, rugby league, and he's played state of origins, which is there's probably as much pressure in a state of origin, if not more, than a Wallaby and Lions test. Mm. And hey, he came through that alright. He won't, and I've seen the word that he's used freeze on that. So he's just going to go with the guys and say he's done it for me in the past. He's played big games. He's played semi-finals in World Cup, or he's played Tri Nations finals. And if I get any decision that's close, I'm picking the guy who's got experience. Mm. And as a result, I reckon there will only be one debutant in the whole Wallabies team.
2: And who is that?
3: Israel Falau. Because he is so good. Mm. But he's been through the big games before. Mm. I mean, state of origin, when it comes down to a third game final decider, you know, People going berserk over state of origin is actually probably even bigger than the third game of a Lions series.
2: So, so, and in, in, in that, then who's who's he running at ten? Is it like Barnes or um... no? I,
3: well, I, well, I, I think it would be Barnes mm. if he hadn't been injured. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Barnes will be on the bench as the backup. Uh, I, I reckon he's going with James O'Connor.
2: Mm. Well, he wrote it, it, that's how he wrote it, and his and he's scored that. You know, they brought him in on.
3: Yeah, what what he's looking for with that game plan is a 10 that either gets the ball and goes straight to the line, not across field, not dancing, not jigging, not you know looking mm. to offload. He either goes straight to the line and effectively crash balls mm. and tries to put a little bit of footwork on when he gets to the line, possibly with an offload, um, or he gives the ball straight away to the guy outside him, whether that's a forward from a line-out or it's the number 12 who is just going to crash the ball up. He's not looking to use any footwork. He just wants to go forward. And if you think about the guys who can play that game plan, uh, Quay Cooper can play it, of course, but that's not his natural game plan. So for me, why take a guy out of his natural state and make him play that game plan? It hasn't worked in the past. Um, I think Matt Tamua could do it. But again, I get back to the question of his experience. Why would you blood a guy when James O'Connor has shown he can play that game plan, he played it very well against Wales. Um, he's an experienced international player. Mm-hmm. He's shown that he's playing it with the Rebels.
2: Yeah. Well, and he's knocked a kick over to win a bloodless before uh, now.
3: Absolutely. De- Dean's isn't going to take gambles with players making their debut. No. That's my view.
2: No. I think you're right. I think we, I mean, I think we talk a lot about selection on form and who's exciting us at the moment, but... You know, especially in, in in that back line, I've got to think that, you know, Deans has got a, he's had a team selected before the super rugby t- started. Um, and it's you know, it's more about, you know, what happens if somebody if I've got injuries. You know. Yeah. I don't I don't think it's it's, you know, got anything else to do with any and, and and his whole thing will be, you know, Pulver can talk all he likes about expansive rugby or whatever else it is. Um, if he wins this Lions tour, and and he'll think he knows how best to do it, um, you know, either he'll get through in the public opinion or Pulver would have axed him anyway.
3: Yeah. So, what, you know, how about what we should do next week? We should have that same discussion that I've had today about the backs. We should expand that out to the forwards.
0: Yeah. For sure. Because
3: there's some interesting, there's some similar sorts of selections there about who's the form player in a position compared to a guy who's coming into form but has done it in the past.
1: Yep.
2: Definitely. Okay, we'll start working. We'll start uh, working through that from uh, podcast one hundred and one odd on on based um, as long as that fits in with everybody's feedback. Um, but uh, now uh, I'm going to bring in uh, everybody's uh, favourite uh, Wallabies. Well, I want to say favourite Wallabies forward, but um, now pundit and uh, you know coach um, Nathan Sharp. So we'll just bring him in now. Yeah, right there, right there. So, joining us on our 100th show, special guest uh, Nathan Sharp, mining magnet, media mogul, coaching guru, and Ashley and Martin refuse Nick. Mate, how are you?
1: <laughs> Very well, mate. Very well. Funny you mention of that, mate. I just got a wig put in the other day.
2: Did you? Well,
1: I thought about it at least, anyway, but decided against it.
2: What colour? I always, I always thought
1: you was a blonde, yeah. Yeah, blonde with uh, black eyebrows, mate. Yeah, <laughs> you look, <laughs>
3: you look like one of those guys off the old Thunderbird show.
1: That's that's actually what I was going for. You're right.
3: <laughs> the movie star look.
1: But yeah. mate, uh, you're in Darwin, is that right? Yeah, I'm I'm in Darwin. Uh, up here with uh, my labour hire company, just seeing business, the opportunities up here, and and. Uh, I guess having a bit of a bit of uh, a bit of a good time with a few lo- local boys up here. There's some, some nice guys up here.
2: Okay. And uh, what's the weather report from up there, mate?
1: Mate, it's hot, getting hotter, and I don't think the humidity could get any more. So uh, <laughs> they're having a fantastic winter.
2: <laughs> yeah, they're they rugged up. Um,
1: yeah, it's exactly right,
2: mate. So look, uh, it's been a while since when we last talked to you. Uh, you know, you were still they're still kind of trying to suck you back in and. And uh, keep you on for God knows how much longer playing for the Wallabies. You've since left. What's it like?
1: It's busy. It's uh, it's scarily busy actually. I I've sort of retired into a cyclone almost. I, well, not not exactly what I was expecting. But it's yeah. a good thing because it certainly it certainly helps uh, to sort of get you get your uh, mind away from missing playing rugby. Mm. So yeah, it's a bit of a godsend really. Yeah.
2: And, mate, one of the big changes there, I guess, is the, uh, the whole media thing that you've taken on with, with Fox. Um, how's that gone? I mean, you know, I think you're getting great raps from the guys on the forum um, and in, around our website. But, you know, have you had a lot of training or, or what happened?
1: <laughs> you just gave me a microphone, mate. That was it. But <laughs> the, the, the guys were really good, you know. They always they give you a bit of... Bit of guidance as to what you what you can do. Uh, I was pretty ordinary the first few weeks, without a doubt, and probably staying a little bit. But uh, once you understand how the the routine of the night goes, it makes it a lot easier because you know what to expect to a certain degree. So probably a little bit of uh, getting getting more comfortable with what goes on 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 game night makes a big difference. And the other one, mate, is because I you know there's the things that I can see that I'd like to try and explain is trying to actually con- compress that and condense it into some form of uh, language that people can, one, understand and, two, fit into the time time slot that I've got being given. So yeah. there's challenges there, but hopefully yeah, I'll get around those.
2: Yeah, no. Well, I think that's one of the things that that's the comment is that um, you're adding some great insight there. So I, I know what you're saying about the challenge there. Does that actually mean you actually have to prepare? I mean, because that, that seems a bit rough.
1: <laughs> no, you've got to do preparation. I think that's yeah, that's, a, that's a key component because at the end of the day, you're you're making commentary on... Players that are in the in the games, it's unfair to not be uh, educated or informed about what's going on because then you're making assumptions about things you might not know. So I try to do as much chatting to the guys as I can and, and have a look at games so that when I do get there, uh, you know that that you can you can you can actually do a justifiable job for the guys on the field because. Um, People at home want to know what they're trying to do and, and why they might not be able to do things and why they are doing things. So yep. I think it's an important part of it.
2: Okay, mate. And what's the uh, combox pecking order then? So you know, ca- oh mate, ca- I'm well
1: down. down. <laughs> I'm well down the bottom, mate. They're all they're all uh, still playing pranks and all and, and, and the like on me, mate. So <laughs> I've uh, I've, got a, I've got I'm cutting my teeth all over again. I feel like I'm nineteen, get back at the red and the came over again.
3: <laughs> so if it rains, mate, you're the one who has to go out and get wet.
1: Yeah, yeah, look I'm, I'm, no problems with that. I can suck all that up, it's not a problem.
2: And so and who's who's the playground bully then,
1: mate? Look, they're not they're not really bullies, they just they've just got all these tricks up their sleeves that I don't really that I can't really sort of see coming just yet. So I've got once I've as I said spend a little bit more time there, then hopefully I'll be able to you know, understand when they switch my microphone off and give it to me and it doesn't work and, you know, all those sort of uh, things that they might find funny.
2: Mate, that, that that still sounds like, you know, kind of commentating 101s that they're pulling on you. Yeah,
1: they are. And, you know, the, the sad thing is that's the sort of thing I used to do, the, the young guys coming through the rugby team, you know, they get up on stage <laughs> and do that sort of thing. So I should see those things coming, really.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's foreign territory, mate. You can you, can, you can be It forgiven. is, mate. Um, it is but then there's another role that you've just picked up so I, I want you to cast your mind forward you know just, just a few weeks time when you're going to be walking onto a rugby pitch with your clipboard um, I guess you'll be wearing tracky dacks and you won't actually be walking into the line out uh, when, you, when you do yes. you're doing your coaching consulting gig Hey, what's going to happen on that day mate what's, what's Big, what's big Kevy going to turn around and say to you when you rock up there with your clipboard
1: Look, mate, I'll, probably, I'll probably rip the tracky dacks off, mate, put the boots on, and get in there for a spring or two myself. I don't know if I'll be able to help myself. But, <laughs> you know, the, look, I'm excited about it. You know, I think, um, you know, one of the things that probably, you know, was a reason for me getting on board is that, you know, I've got a, I've got a pretty, well, I've got an extensive knowledge of the guys that will all be play, in the Waldies. You know, they've all I've, all, I've played with them all, I've played against them, and, and you know, I understand what they're good at and what, what, where they need help. I suppose a little bit from a you know playing perspective, but then also I've played against all the guys in the Lions as well, and know you know what might work and what might not. So an extra set of eyes and ears, you know, should be good. And uh, you know, listen, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've have a you know a fantastic coaching career behind me. I, I don't, but uh, you know I've got a bit of experience with the game, so hopefully that can I can translate that across.
3: So, Sharpie, I watched you last year in Wallabies training, you know, effectively coaching the line-out anyway, so you don't see there'll be a lot of difference there from what you were doing last year, apart from the fact you're no longer jumping?
1: Yeah, look, I think the important thing is that it's really important... I I think people don't understand the importance of having a a line-out caller who feels comfortable with the line-out plan and and actually runs the line-out from day to day because, at the end of the day, he's the one on the field that needs to be able to manipulate... Uh, things when they aren't going so well or, or needs to change strategy on the run and, and it really needs to be an, an autonomous position to, to many respects. So, look, for me uh, and Andrew Blades will just be about, I guess, empowering those guys to, to think for themselves. Maybe, maybe give them a couple of extra, uh, you know, ideas here and there. But at the end of the day, they're the ones that have to make the decisions in the field. So, you know, there'll be, there'll be advice with a bit of strategy and, and, um, you know, tactics away from the, the training paddock and that'll all be, you know, signed off by everyone. But when it comes down to training, you know, we, we might help with a bit of technique and um, some of the other the timing issues and, and the like. But at the end of the day, it's going to come down to whoever's running that line out for the, for the test coming up. And,
3: mate, I, I wanted to touch on that point about calling because, you know, we have some guys on the site, probably who are backs, who just say, well, it's simple. You just learn the call and you make the call. But can you just explain to us how it's not quite that simple and how much of an art it is that no matter how much planning you do before a game, as you say, things just change completely.
1: Well, they do. And, and you know, as you uh, go go through, your, I guess, your career, you've got to learn to, to cope with a lot of different situations. You know, um, if, you, if you look at us, the force in, in previous years, you know, we we often only had... Two second rowers, and then you know our, our third jumper was Hodjo, who we had to teach how to jump, and he he's a, he's a really capable jumper now, but you 've got to deal with the fact sometimes you just don't have the ideal uh, dimensions in your line out you know if you look at a south african team they 've generally got at least four quality jumpers, maybe a fifth depending on who they pick you 've got to be able to work with your limitations in a in a selection in a selected team, so you know that's that's one thing you 've got to consider when you 're making a line out plan, and the other one is. When you go into a game, the strength of the opposition defensive line out, um, and what they're good at. So, you know, if you look at the Canterbury Crusaders at the moment, they're, they're doing a lot of mirror defence and they've, they've become really good at it. You saw that they got success against the Bummies in the weekend, but there's, 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 holes in that defensive system as well. And, and I think it's really important that, that a, a line out call understands that if they present a mirrored defence, how to beat that. And then if they present a defence that has, uh, a different setup. You've got to you've got to have a, a plan B or a plan C to go to that you know you can win the ball to. So I don't know if that's am i talking too much there, boys, or what. No, that's,
2: no, no, that's good. Our, our guys and love it.
1: That, that's
3: yeah, that's something that you know takes a long time to learn, doesn't it? It's experience. So it's not something where you can look at a line-out and say, well, look, you call the line-outs this week. You you need someone who's pretty experienced in that role, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's critical, particularly in uh, test matches, because. You know, you come against a, a team that has three quality jumpers, it's sometimes very difficult to find space, particularly, um, you know, depending on your setup, you might only have two, maybe three capable jumpers, and, and that certainly makes it... uh gives you less options to sort of work through. So, you know, look, I, I think it's a really important part of the, 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 the game, and it's for me, it's, it's one of the big, biggest games of chess within the game of rugby.
2: Yeah, Mate, Hodjo probably lost his uh, desire to jump too much and you buggers dropped him on his shoulder.
1: Yeah, we sort of threw him across and let him go. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I've haven't lived that one down. But it's funny, you know, he keeps on whinging about it. The amount of times I've been dropped, it's ridiculous, mate.
2: <laughs> oh, He's just one of these wimpy back rowers. But speaking of which, you know, when it comes to calling, does it make any difference whether it's a back row? I mean, Ben Moen seems to be doing a pretty good job down there at the, at the Brumbies... Um, he's, he's, he's not in a locking position. Is there any reason why it needs to be locked versus back row?
1: No, it's got to be, It's got to be. Uh, you know, it, it, who is capable of it. Um, that they can perform that function because at the end of the day, you know, Benny's a good jumper. He's going to be involved in all the line outs. Yeah. So that's important for starters. And, uh, you know, he, he's a guy that's, that's, you know, has been calling, has... Had a better year, in calling you know, I think the, the Brumbies and the Reds have got the best statistic line out statistically um, in the Super Rugby Australian team, at least at the moment, anyway.
3: Yeah, and and, and speaking of that, who, who have you seen um, not just in the Australian teams, but in the uh, international teams as well this season that's doing a really good job? You mentioned the Crusaders.
1: Yeah, well, I think the, there was you know. You know, maybe five years ago, New Zealand had a reputation of uh, having you know very poor line-out. Um, I'd I say at, at the moment, the, the way they select their team, they give themselves at least four jumpers in their in their in their teams, and they've they've technically been probably the most consistently uh, consistent lifting team. They they get good height quite often, and and they also look for to speed line-outs up, which often you know helps if uh, defenses aren't set so you know i think i think they've been the benchmark in new zealand the crusaders and they've got a lot of all blacks in there which you know equates to the all blacks performance over the last couple of years and then uh you know the bulls obviously they've got john drake kruger there who who runs a pretty good line out and you know victor's helping coach there as well so there's some pretty good pedigree helping out over that side of the ditch as well
2: good one mate um we were just talking last night. I mean, one of the big discussion points, just moving on from the line-out for the moment, everyone's going on about it is kind of selection. And obviously there's, you know, George Smith, um, you know, about whether his contractual thing should work out. There's people talking about Izzy Falau, um, whether he should be allowed in having not put the time in, whereas George Smith has. Where are you on these sorts of issues about, you know, who should be in the run for for Wallabies or not?
1: Well, I think they've got to pick the best, the, the best team possible,
2: mm.
0: and
1: uh, you know if George Smith is the he's playing as well as uh, Liam Gill or, or uh, Michael Hooper, who you know, and I, and I play with Michael Hooper, is an outstanding player. So you know, a lot of people have been talking about Liam Gill, who has been, he's had a great year as well. You know, Michael Hooper's there as well, but you know, if those guys, you could throw a blanket over the, all of them. Mm. I, I just think that uh, if you've got a guy like George Smith, who's played the Lions before, he's played one hundred. However many tests, uh, and he's probably out of the three of them. Just through maturity and age, he's probably one. Of the, he's probably a little more robust than the other guys. Mm. I think. I think you've got to look at those sort of factors and take into account that that experience is going to, you know, George is going to be able to cope with the big moments because he's done done it before and he's done it time over and time over again. So, I'd like to see. You know, I don't know the situation of the whole thing. I think if George Smith's available, then he should definitely be in the squad there. Yeah. Okay, mate. Now, and he? flower? look, everyone had pinned really big hopes on him from his first game, which I thought was incredibly unfair because, uh, you know, he's he's switched. He's gone from league to AFL and back to union. Um, You know, for me, you take his athletic ability out of the game, but for a guy to be able to play State of Origin at the age of 19 or as a teenager... Um, you know, it says something about his mental resilience and his, his, mental, his mental approach to the game. And it's only going to be a matter of time before he's pulling on a wall of jersey, I, I would suspect. Mm.
2: Okay, mate. Well, look, I've, I've got a bunch of... Uh, we won't keep you too much longer. I've got some quick-fire questions that the guys in, from Facebook um, have, have fired over to us. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to thin them out even. But um, who we got here? So from Harry Spicer. Are you pleased with the increased level of depth in Australian rugby this year? So I guess the question is, is it any different or are we just, you know, have we just been having a good run of it or do you think it's actually changed?
1: Look, I think it's a, a few things. I think the depth is definitely better. On the back of last year, it was a tough year with a lot of injuries uh, to the Wallabies. That introduced a lot of younger guys that hadn't had that exposure. They got the taste of it. They were in an environment where they were able to improve as rugby players. They've gone back to their super rugby franchises and imparted a bit of that, probably that, maybe that understanding of the game, that work ethic, and that's spread across all the, all the uh, franchises. The other thing is, in, in uh, rugby at the moment, guys don't get a great deal of preseason. And last year, a lot of our better players, uh, or who were our better players, they were forced to have a break. So you look at a guy like Will, Will Gennier sort of thing, uh, you know, James Hall, all those, all those sort of players that have been playing for Australia for all, they actually got a break. And that makes a huge difference. I think people think, you know, guys finish the spring tour, they have a month off and they do four weeks of pre-season and they should be good to go. That sort of rejuvenation mentally, uh, physically, has a big impact. And I think, you know, perhaps New Zealand is starting to have a little bit of that lag as well. They've got a few of their better players out like Kieran Reid. But, um, you know, those guys had a pretty long year last year on the back of a World Cup year too, so... Mm. There's a few other factors there. But, I, yeah, I think the depth's increased in Australian rugby, on the back of last year, being a good one in terms of developing that. OK. Um,
2: I've got another one here from Chris Dakin. Uh, you, like a lot of players, have a strong connection to the University of Queensland Rugby Club. What is it about the club that kept the connection strong even when you lived on the other side of the country?
1: I just think they've got good people involved. And, and uh, it was just, it's just a club that generates a good culture and, and one that... Um, you know, you want to be a part of. And, and that's a great culture to be in, involved in because you feel like you're part of a community, I suppose. And, and uh, there's it, are very heavy all over the globe and, uh, and they all keep in touch still, you know. Everyone's on an emailing list and it's, a, it's just a nice community that seems to spread outside of Brisbane.
2: Mm. Okay, mate. And then finally here, this is from Benjamin uh, Gath. Um, are rumours of you turning out for the Barbars against the Lions true?
1: No, they're not true. I, I, was, uh, I was pretty keen to play, but uh, seeing as I'd been retired for six months, yeah. uh, they, the you know, rightly so, wanted guys that have, you know, they're pretty keen to put on a good performance and, um, against the Lions, and they didn't really want people that hadn't played much of, of, of late. Who'd so. <laughs> be weighing them down. Me, w- yeah, yeah, cause I'd, be, I'd be the anchor drag in this ship, but <laughs> if they asked me, I'd do it, but I, yeah. it's, uh, it's not on the cards.
2: Mate, look, I heard a little. I heard a whisper that at one stage, when um, Kev Horwill's injury, people weren't quite sure how it was going to work out. That um, some people from the AOU got on the blower. Any any truth behind that?
1: <laughs> oh, look, mate, there was, there was all sorts of conversations going around. But look, there's no. I, I think, uh, uh, yeah, but it, it was it was definitely started the year of consideration from myself. You know, yeah. obviously the the opportunity to play the lines is, is, pretty, is pretty encouraging. But, yeah. um, you know, I, 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 I've had my time and, and if I can help them win the series, then that'll be more than enough for me.
2: And, mate, just physically, are you doing much anymore? I mean, do, are you trying to keep fit or have you just said stuff it and it's just a six-pack a night?
1: No. <laughs> when I retired, I thought, oh, I'm just going to be having a beer every night sort of thing. But yeah. I've actually managed to try and do something every day. I sort of... I had a month off. I started going a bit stir-crazy and... Um, the the belt started expanding. I thought, oh, you know what, I don't really want to be, uh, you know, six months retired and, and wearing a, a, an extra pant size. So I yeah. try and I try and do a bit every day, and uh, you know, hopefully I can keep that up for a little while at least. Anyway, yeah.
2: is there anything in particular that you that you that you do? I mean, any particular type of exercise?
1: No, I I run. I probably run maybe three or four mornings a week, just for you know twenty or thirty minutes, and then I'll try and do as many weight sessions as I can during the week, so oh, maybe right. three,
2: three weight sessions a week. So. Right. It sounds to me like you're ready to take on the Lions uh, with, with, with that sort of <laughs> program. I don't see what's holding you back.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll take my boots to camp, mate. See so
2: how I
3: go. OK. <laughs> and uh, a final one from me, Sharpie. On game night yep. when you run out uh, for the Lions test, how's it working? Are you still commentating or just coaching or what's happening there?
1: Yeah, no, I'm some involved. With the with the team from first uh, sorry Sunday to Thursday, and then um, and then I'll I'll be commentary on Friday and Saturday. So uh, so that's the uh, that's how it's looking like it's going to pan out. All right.
2: And just not answering any uh, questions on the line-out calls.
1: Yeah, no, I mean there's there's obviously going to be some things that I'll, yeah I'll, I'll need to have a think about how to. Make sure that um,
2: they don't I'm you know,
1: not, not 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 compromising the team um, by saying anything publicly that, that that may do that. So that's a, that's going to be a challenge for me. Yeah.
2: And then finally, mate, just just how excited are you about this Lions tour? Is, is is it? I mean, you're involved in it in so many different ways now. I mean, it, is it is it driving you crazy, or is it just business as usual?
1: Oh no, look, it's going to be awesome. It's it's something that um, it's just going to be great to be involved in. I think and. and and um, to have that opportunity, you know, I'm, I'm really pumped about it. Yeah. So uh, it, it's going to be different for me. Obviously, I'm working my, I'm on my labour side of things and, and trying to do well there, but I'm just going to take essentially put five weeks into, into that uh, alliance preparation uh, on top of this, the precursory work that I'm doing now in getting ready for it, you know, so... Good one. Uh, yeah. All right, mate. Well, look. Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll enjoy wearing the tracksuit and watching the boys run around. No, it's
2: well. I mean, to be able to commentate it as well as be part of it, that's a, that's a pretty different experience. But um, help bring it home, mate, or keep it here. Um, great to talk to you and great to hear things going well. Enjoy Darwin. Maybe a beer tonight. Thanks, beer, fellas. Maybe a beer tonight.
1: Yeah, I think it'd be in, in order tonight. It's hard to be outside in 35 degrees and 130% humidity and not want a beer. <laughs> All right, mate. Have a good one.
3: Thanks, Charlie.
2: Good See on you, mate. Bye. Bye. There we go, the man himself, um, fairly candid, got into some detail there about the lineouts.
3: Yeah, really good. Um, interesting how he's going to juggle the commentary and and the coaching side of things. Mm. but what an asset you know he, he'll just be able to be alongside the lineouts in training and he'll see things they're doing that um, you know a guy who hasn't played for any number of years who's coaching them or observing them just won't be able to see. Mm. Well, and, so,
2: exactly, and I mean, he's—it's all just—it's all fresh, you know. And it's not like he's, you know, gone off and gone into industry or something. I mean, he's, you know, he's working in he's watching the games, he's talking to the players, and all those sorts of things. So, it is—it's a pretty ideal setup, really, isn't
3: it? Yeah, and he'll, he'll have a lot of experienced guys there, so I don't imagine he'll be elbowing a young bloke out of the way and saying, "Look, I'll show you."
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I, you know, when I made that joke about um, him, uh, you know with talking, turning up with Kev there. I mean, that that is going to be interesting. I guess Kev will obviously have a lot of respect and they're obviously mates, I would imagine. But, um, yeah, it'll put the shoe on the other foot a little bit though, won't it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. that would be tough, you know, effectively, you know, playing together last year, um, mates. I mean, they're both from the same club. They're both from University of Queensland. So they've known each other for quite a while. And now, you know... I suppose he won't be the coach. He won't be out there saying, do this, do that. Mm. Um, I think he'll just be guiding and offering a little bit of assistance here and there. Um, and that's what he was doing last year. Uh, the Wallabies training sessions that I observed, um, he was working with the starting line out and was basically running the whole training session. Mm. Um, Andrew Blades, obviously, you know, great scrum technician um, and then was taking the back end, backup line out, whereas Sharpie, you know, effectively was coaching um, the starting line-out, much as Laurie Fisher titles the other week that Ben Moen does at the Brumbies. It's a player-led thing rather than a coach having to be there and run the line-out.
2: Yeah. I mean, I'd I'd actually heard alongside that whisper that I uh, put to him, which sounds like it had a bit of truth to it, um, about, you know, earlier in the season when uh, Kev Horwell's injury wasn't, people weren't sure about. um, I'd heard a whisper that uh, Robbie had gone to him and said, would you consider? So it sounds like those conversations happened. But I'd also heard that uh, even last year, um, when you saw what, what you saw, um, about him basically being a player coach, that there'd already been discussions about him, uh, you know, taking up the coaching mantle. So um, yeah, obviously that was something they'd already been talking about. But um, it also some interesting stuff there, talking about you know who who he saw as probably some of the key the key callers. Obviously he said uh, Queensland doing well, and that's as I understand it that's Rob Simmons. Yes, um, it,
3: it's going to be so critical when they pick the team that they have you know at least one guy in there. Who is a, a very good lineout caller, mm. um, and, th- and that's why I wanted to, you know, get him to get the point across that it is not something that you can just walk into having not done for a while and do it really well. Mm. I mean, some guys can, but there is a real art to call it. Mm. For example, you know, I know from talking to some guys in Japan that you know the Japanese rugby players, you know, aren't as experienced as you know, say, from the Sanzar countries they actually pre-plan their lineouts and they actually sequence them. So they'll say to their guys, we're going to run these six lineouts. These are our first six lineouts. And they will just practice them in training because it's very much sort of rote learning. Everybody learn what to do. Um, The problem with that is you get out on the park, you think you know how a team's going to defend your first lineout, and then you look across and they're defending in a completely different way. You just run the lineout that you had planned or you had called out in the huddle, And there's a good chance he lose the ball. Mm -hmm. So the guy has to be standing there, has to be looking at what the opposition's doing, has to be looking at who's in space. Um, he has to be thinking about what they did the last line out so that, you know, they might have, you know, faked at the front and then hit the middle, for example. And they're thinking, well, what are they now going to do about that? They're going to think we'll fake at the front and go to the middle again. So maybe we will go to the front. We'll, we'll basically give them the double fake. You've got to think of all of those things within a space of about five to ten seconds. Yeah. And then, you know, as you're standing there in the line-out ready to go, and all of a sudden one of their pods moves backwards because they think you're going to the back, you've got to change your call and throw to the middle where the space now is, whereas, you know, it was at the back a moment ago. Mm -hmm. There's so many things you have to think of, and if you hesitate, the opportunity's lost, or you'll jump into a contest and lose the ball. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lot going on there. It's interesting. Just uh, out of interest, uh, have you, is, does Kev Horwell, has he ever been a line-out caller?
3: Yeah, he has. Right. Um, but he, he's not doing it and hasn't done it regularly. Mm. Um, but, yeah, he is, he is quite a good line-out caller too. Yeah. Um, I know that when Rob Simmons came into the Reds team, uh, he was recognised as a really good caller, and I've heard Kev say that, you know, basically I could offload some of my responsibility to him And then I could think about other things as the captain. Yeah. So it's worked quite well for them there. Mm. Uh, Given that I expect he'll be captain of the Wallabies, you know, I think the ideal scenario is to have somebody else um, as the caller, thinking purely about lineouts, Uh, because it also applies in defence as well. Um, Your caller is normally your defensive leader, Mm -hmm. who's trying to read what the defence is doing. And if you're thinking about, you know, how how do I manage the ref, or you're talking to the ref on the way into a lineout you know, you, your mind's not on the job, which is the line-out. So, yes, he could do it, but it adds a lot of responsibility. Yeah.
2: All righty. Well, look, we'll, we'll talk more about that, I think, uh, when, we, when we start running through those different positions leading up to selection. Um, but it's been a big one tonight. It's been the 100th. Uh, great way to finish it, I think. Uh, thanks for being on it, mate.
3: It's been good. Yeah, it's a, it's a yep. goodie.
2: We um,
3: you feel old at hundred.
2: Yeah, no. It's a, as we said at the top of the show. It's a rejuvenation, mate. We're a hundred years young, just ready yep. for our next phase. <laughs>
3: yep, we're a hundred not out. Although actually, we were dropped. Um, one of the Kiwis put us down, wasn't it? When you, uh, you and Timsey, I think, gave us the drunk podcast from the. Uh... The World Cup. But <laughs> well, we were dropped on about 60. But anyway, we fought back. We've made the 100. Now we're going to go on and try and get the double ton.
2: Uh, some people still look for those mythical um, drunken podcasts, um, but, but not many. Um, anyway, mate, look, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for people downloading. And if you've made it this far, congratulations. Go get yourself a drink. You probably need to rehydrate. Um, it's been a long time. Um, so, yeah, thanks for letting us come in your ears and um, see you next Tuesday. Thanks,
1: everyone. <laughs> Yeah, what it, rot it.